There's no way as a coach you can say that I have an experienced rationale above my players on something like the wall. Let's see, does this work together? And then if you get a good vibe off it, let's bring it in. If you don't, all right, coach. Subscribe to the Rugby Stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. You're very welcome along. It's Monday morning and we have a very, 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 very busy programme for you. There was too much sport on over the weekend. We're going to try and sift through it for the little nuggets of gold. But uh, wherever you're watching in the world, we'd love to hear from you this morning. 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number. Uh, you can also get us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash off the ball. Make sure you subscribe if you want to leave a comment or you can tweet us at off the ball AM. Colm is here. Sure, good morning. Uh, and Nathan is here. All right, lads. Uh, it was a very busy weekend. It's too much time. It was too much. We say this most weekends. It really felt like it. This weekend, like no GA on national TV on Saturday, felt like, uh, oh my God, this is a great opportunity to do that because yesterday was so stacked. And with all that said, with all this sport played, there's only one thing on my mind and I want to know, is Nathan Murphy getting a new hamster? Mm? No, I'm not getting a new hamster, no. This is revealed no, on Dadcast last week, folks. Yeah, don't, well, don't, I'd never spoken about the hamster before, so I don't think the nation had a love for the hamster, uh, mm. but the hamster's no more buried. No replacement? Absolutely not. There's a scene in The Simpsons where they operate on and on one, do the uh, CPR, and then the hamster dies, and they throw it, and it bounces into like a little basketball net and into the bin, and it's like, that's... Well, you've got to question any pet that when you wake up on a Monday morning and you're looking at it, and it's not moving in the cage, but you're still questioning whether it's dead or alive. Yeah. Uh, uh, you've got to question any pet. Great line. So... Um, there was too much sport on over the weekend. It's difficult to navigate a way through it. I managed to miss all of the best parts, I think. Good man. I missed the penalty shootout. Was it, was it good as penalty shootouts go? Was it a good penalty shootout? It was top class, yeah. Was it? A lot of top corner. Had them in low. Yeah, we'll get to it in the performance rankings, but um, David De Gea and penalty shootouts. I not, did, not a match. I did see a, No chemistry. I did see a fair bit of Ulster on Friday night, which was... Uh, <laughs> of all the things all weekend that you picked to watch. Well, yeah. Um, so, so the bits of the Liverpool game that weren't good, that was like, what? I don't know. I, a lot I, of it. Yeah, but I, it, it seemed pretty exciting. It was because of the way Liverpool play right now, where no matter how many goals they score, you feel every time the opposition go forward, they're probably going to score. But that was an entertaining game. All right. So you watched Ulster ahead of Arsenal. Well, the games uh, of the season. We were, we were. There was a bit of flicking going on, but not much. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, that opening 35 seconds of the Arsenal game really set the table for everything. Because Ramsdale had got to the point where it's like, oh, he's, he's England's number one goalkeeper in waiting, right? Just as soon as Pickford has a mistake at international level, Ramsdale's going to be in. It was one of the best signings that anybody's made. They've transformed him into a world-class keeper. And maybe he still is. Maybe we shouldn't overreact to a chronic error at the moment where your entire career is coming down to, oh, we've got to do is win this game. Just win this game. I'm going to kick it out to you. Mm. No? That's the way Arsenal play. He made a mistake. He made a big mistake. Uh, he's had an exceptional season. But for two or three years, Arsenal have played out from the back in an incredibly risky way. That when people were criticising Arteta 18 months ago, you thought, well, this, this just isn't sustainable. Generally, it works. But with everything that's gone on over the past couple of weeks with Arsenal, you just think, here, lads, 
first few minutes. Let's keep this calm. We're going to get into this. Here's what's, official. here's what's coming up between now and 10 o'clock on the show. Our performance rankings are imminent. One minute, Alison Miller's going to join us to talk to us about uh, Ireland being nilled by England and it not actually being the complete 100 points that uh, we thought it might be while your arms in the air for. So stacked. It's a sporting weekend. It doesn't even make the performance rankings. Andy Mitten at 20 past 8. Uh, Shane's at the snooker, that's why he's not here. At 8.40, Anthony Moyle's going to join us in studio to talk to us about the humiliation of the Meath footballers. Uh, Noel Connor is going to talk to us about Waterford and their plan, which worked up to a point against Limerick yesterday. And then uh, we'll play out some highlights from the Sunday pay-per-view. But at 7.34 this morning, it is time for the Gillette Labs performance rankings. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on their second-half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. That performance is just lacked that intensity. Baby. Uh, you were giving me dagger looks there because I was talking about Ramsdale before we got to the performance rankings. That was it. Sure. Yeah. That's it. All right, Nathan, take it away. We're starting in the red this week. Yes. yes. All right, let's go. North London. Bloody hell, what a weekend. Uh, started Friday night with Arsenal with that 3-3 draw. Uh, they remain top of the Premier League, but three games in a row where they've had three consecutive draws and in a manner not befitting of potential champions. Now, it's not done just yet. They are still five points clear, albeit it's in City's hands. And now you feel they need to go and possibly win at the Etihad Stadium but also you look at their fixture list after this they still have Chelsea to go Newcastle Brighton uh, there's a lot of doubts over this Arsenal side bottle is the word that's been used again and again I think it's one of these cases where you know two things can exist at the same time where nobody nobody even predicted Arsenal were going to finish top four this season I think so they've had a remarkable season but there's been too much emotion at play for too long with this Arsenal side and to be in total control play outstanding against Liverpool for the first half an hour and let them back into it alright it's at Anfield Liverpool are always going to have a spell they're always going to give you something but that game is totally under control it's even worse against West Ham where first 10 minutes blitz them it's 2-0 it could have been a Newcastle Spurs in the first 20 minutes of that game let them back in drop points again and then just the general sloppiness of their defending uh, right from, as you say, the first 30 seconds. Uh, it was one of the games of the season. I, I don't know how they didn't win it in injury time. I was convinced they were going to win it in injury time. They probably should have won it in injury time. Gabriel Jesus, it felt like he was more interested in getting a penalty than actually putting himself in position to take a chance. Uh, but, you know, again, it's that thing of the two things existing where you would question their bottle, but also how many times have they shown unbelievable character this season to come back to score late goals? My timeline was full of very angry Arsenal fans giving out about Gavin Bazunu. I was like, oh, I'm proud par- of What's Gavin Bazunu done? Well, time wasting. They were, they were clocking the. Oh, it's 33 seconds since that ball went out of play. Was he, was he not good? Uh, I, I didn't think he had an exceptional game. There was a you know, not great decision making at times with, uh, when he was coming out of his area. Uh, he conceded three goals. Definitely the last goal. He you know, panned the ball straight back into the path of Saka. So I don't think it was a, an exceptional Bazunu display. It was fine. It was obviously... Nobody cared about Southampton at the end if they'd gone on and won that game. Uh, it's a massive step for survival. But, yeah, Arsenal are... Like, they're having a dip at just the wrong time. And I remember the build-up to the last Manchester City game. Like, we were midway through the season, but it felt like we were three games from the end with the with the approach of the Arsenal players. Just how emotionally invested they were. And you felt like they need to calm things down. And the City game, the defeat there, calmed things down. But again... 
they're just playing at 100 miles an hour like the little huddles in after every goal conceded of yeah. absolute panic stations it's like just go back to doing what you're doing now a lot of players are having a dip in form like party obviously Jack didn't play the last night but you could you know the way he sort of seemed to ignite the Anfield crowd but you know party's definitely been struggling over the last few games defensively they're starting to make uh, a lot of individual errors. Saliba been absent. Uh, you know, who would have thought again at the start of the season William Saliba would be such a key player for Arsenal, but his absence and Rob Holding comes in seems to have unsettled things. And they are kind of totally reliant on Odegaard, Martinelli and Saka on just dragging them through. But they still have the points on the board. Yeah, I mean, they were very close to making this an extraordinary comeback, like you said, Nathan. They hit the bars with a 3 all right at the end. Mm. Um, but I think what's happened to them since they went 2-0 up at Anfield is kind of the team is an encapsulation of Mikel Arteta. Like, he loses his cool so often on the sideline. And if you're a player looking over him, you're like, like this is our manager. This is the one person who's supposed to stay calm and composed amidst the pressure cooker of the top end of the Premier League. And at the same time, it's Arteta's passion and never say the attitude that helps his players get back into games where they, they should have a last cause. So, like, 2-0 and 3-1 down on Friday night, a lot of teams would have faltered completely and they came back. And you never doubted that they would. Ah, they are against the worst team I, in the league. Yeah, but at the same time... They're playing Southampton, you think. At the same time... get a lot of chances. Yeah. Like, there's probably the zenith of the season was 2-0 up at Liverpool. And since then, it's fallen away bit by bit. And last week, we put Arsenal in the amber when they drew to all at West Ham after going 2-0 up. And this, this week, they're in the red because it's, like, it's basically... You know, three points in three games, essentially two defeats. And like you say, Nathan, it's in Manchester City's hands. Yeah, the difficulty is, though, that you're when you're doing out the rest of the season, you're chalking this down as three points at West Ham and three points mm. against Southampton. And you know that City are now in rolling ball of knives form and they're going to win every game. And so uh, Arsenal could lose this by 10 points now. That's that's on the cards. They're going to, they, there's a, you know, there's a po- possibility that if the other teams weren't so bloody useless, you, you know. Yeah. I'm definitely on the side of the fence that Arsenal have had a brilliant season, regardless of what happens to them here. You know, I know they were miles ahead, but like you can't doubt the muscle memory alone of Manchester City under Pep Guardiola and their ability to win leagues. Sure, the difficulty is that this was their chance. Like they're, they're I not. I don't think it is. Though. Well, yeah, no, I, I don't think. It's, I don't think it's like Tottenham. Football moves moves quickly. Um, I don't know. This is their this, chance. We just don't know. This could well be their opportunity, and Manchester City come back next season and are better than ever. Like Arsenal could win the league this season on. 89, 90 points. Mm. Like, you know, Manchester City, that would be a disastrous season for them to not get over 90 points. Like, I think after the Liverpool game, there was an overreaction in terms of, you know, oh, throwing away two points. You can't do that at this stage. I thought that season, was a good result. Which is, again, the force of what Manchester City do, that you have to win every single game. But to draw three matches in a row when this opportunity has presented itself. Now, maybe they do go to the Etihad and win. They're not going to the Etihad and win. I don't think so. I'd be shocked. That that is not... It's not going to happen. I don't know. Like, City, it's so rare they play games like this where actually it's all on the line in the league. It's a nighttime game. The atmosphere is going to be up. It's going to be absolutely electric at the Etihad Stadium. That's not something actually City are <laughs> that used to playing in. So maybe the emotion that Arsenal would bring into it, if they can get up again, because the other thing was it looked like from the body language of the Arsenal players that they almost felt it was done uh, on Friday night. Like They were absolutely devastated they are correct. after the game. <laughs> and here, Arsenal, again, look at the age profile of the attacking players in their yeah. side. Absolutely, there's an opportunity that they kick on from here. Yeah. But... 
football moves so fast. Manchester City invest yet again. You would have to expect United are going to be better next year. Newcastle are going to invest massively. Liverpool will have to be better next year. Yeah, but there's nothing to say that Arsenal won't be better next year either. They just, I don't think this is like Tottenham in 2016-17 where they won't replenish the squad. Well, what if the manager is good but not great? What if actually Arteta is only okay? What if that emotion that you're talking about is... Maybe, what if he's in prison for that? I like, think there's, there's no evidence yet to suggest that he is as good as Pep Guardiola. No, I think he's building his own side and I think they've made massive improvements from this time last season. Do you remember at the end of last season too, they, they bottled it again away to Newcastle and in the North London Derby. They did. They did it there. But yeah. the difference is that they've been so much more consistent this season than last and he's continually building a side in his own mould. So I think I would put him down as very good so far and I can see him as a Premier League winning manager. I, I don't see why this Arsenal squad will falter for seasons to come in title races if they keep the core of their side and they're going to attract younger players now who well, may not be at the absolute elite of the game but are kind of B-class players Flaky at the end of last season Flaky at the end of this season Yeah, that's what they need to improve on That's their mould Is that what you're saying? They're, but they're uh, so far but their whole season this year this year is so much better than last campaign up, yeah. So it's an it's improvement like. Well it is and they obviously spent a lot of money and they bought relatively well but if they buy badly this summer which you know they have bought badly in the past um, there's no guarantee that they're going to continue to be at the level they're at compared to everybody else. Well, last season they faltered in the Champions League race. This year's the title race. So if they can get rid of these stupid kind of errors where they're dropping points at the tail end of the season, that's where they, they actually have a tangible target for next season. It was like, remember the end of the season, lads. Because yeah. we had two yeah. examples of this. The difficulty is to repeat what they did at the start of the season, where they yeah. were on this but he incredible says we've done that. winning run. And we've done that, so we can do it again. You know? With but the exception uh, of Manchester City, very few teams have been able to do that in back-to-back seasons. Uh, yeah, Arteta has the pep and template. And City are an all-time great, you know, great team. Guardiola template. But he, 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 there's no template. Like Pep Guardiola is a genius, and he and Arteta no, saw that up close, and personal. Yeah, but for that's a couple just, of years. Okay, okay. I, I mean, you you can copy genius, but it looks yeah. like a copy. It's like a, an old-school fax machine where you, you get the thing through. Like, oh, this looks good. All the greats borrow from greats. The Rolling Stones. Blues music. Yeah, but, it's, but not, it's, it's not complete uh, So Arsenal, Arsenal are the Rolling Stones in this analogy, yeah. right? Uh, yeah, okay. I think so. Also, what's got missing in this trout is uh, Gabriel Martinelli scoring one of the goals of the month with that volley, the way he took that, just, just off the ground and to keep it low and hard in the first goal for Arsenal against Southampton. Oftentimes, because there's so much sport happening at the moment that you actually... You can easily forget the individual great moments, but that, I thought that was one of the best goals I've seen in a long time. Very unusual strike. It's got last in the three all draw. All right. Okay. Uh, Arsenal, we haven't even mentioned Spurs. We're going to have to fly through these a bit uh, faster here. Yeah, Spurs. I mean, like we were saying last Monday, I don't know why they settled for Christian Stellini for the rest of the season. Surely they can get someone else out there, a guy who's not a manager. And they saw it there 5 0 down inside 21 minutes away to Newcastle. It's the second earliest 5 0 capitulation in Premier League history. The other one was back in 2019 when Manchester City thumped Watford ahead of beating them in the Cup final later on that season. But, I mean, it was an absolute joke. Like, it could have been double digits at the end. And uh, they made a sub after 20 odd minutes of Papi Sar coming off. The defensive uh, starting lineup did not work out. Elise Cellini rectified that and kind of stemmed the tide, and it was one all for the rest of the game. But I'm just so surprised that with the team who are on the cusp of Champions League qualification, who need that money of the Champions League, have settled for a guy who's never managed a team. It's very unusual. Surely there's someone out there, surely there's a troubleshooter out there who can do a job for Spurs to the end of the season or make the long term appointment now. But why do they not just cut their ties completely with the Antonio Cante reign? Use that time wisely and get a whole new set 
of managers and coaches in. Yeah, look, I, I guess, I don't know. It, doesn't, it didn't make any sense. Um, you do have to give Newcastle some credit for how, how brilliant they were. And, you know, I'm just thinking back to this time last week when yep. Aston Villa absolutely annihilated this Newcastle team. I, uh, so, anyway, just uh, need to shoehorn that reference in. And uh, are we moving on? You, uh, I, I, I was going to say, ironically, Stellini said they weren't prepared to suffer. Uh, which uh, I think but he's suffering very much. Uh, time. Newcastle suffer. might make the top four, Joe. Well, Newcastle are raging hot favourites to make the top four right now. Like, obviously, Liverpool won at the weekend, but the Newcastle have seven games left. They need to lose at least three of them. Mm-hmm. They've and Liverpool four win all their games with what we saw from Liverpool at the weekend is you know, just not going to happen. Mm. Uh, they're conceding way too many goals. But And how do Spurs bounce back from this? Uh, underrated story of the season is how many goals Harry Kane has scored. Like 24 Premier League goals in an absolutely bang average Spurs side where everyone around them is underperforming. Youngmin's son nowhere near the player last season. Kulusevski's form has fallen off a cliff. They've no midfield at all. The wings backs barely contribute. And still, he manages to score, even yesterday, in every single game. Well, they're a bit like Manchester United. They've kept a whole lot of players for a long time who were good but not great, like Eric Dyer, Dyer Hugo Lloris. Even Son is probably not the player he was. And they're just keeping them because they're not terrible players by any means. They kind of throw in six or seven out of ten performances regularly enough but they've lost that spark that they had a few years ago again like you sort of replenish they need to replenish that squad completely it's going to be very interesting to see what happens and who is actually into taking that gig it it has the bang of a Brendan Rodgers job for me now and uh, you, you've got to sell Harry Kane to get the money in to reinvest in the team that seems to be the only way that they're going to reinvest properly at the level that they need to do so um, a, a sobering Morning for all the uh, Spurs fans. Like for North London, just yeah. so abject. Right, that's one of the reds done. What's next? Uh, next in the red, Mead. Wow, uh, Mead are heading to the Talchin Cup. They will not be part of the All Ireland series. Uh, beaten by Offaly yesterday, Colm O'Rourke in his first season already under uh, enormous pressure, uh, looking rather glum on the back of uh, most of this morning's papers. Uh, from we're going to have Anthony Moyles in. We can do a proper deep dive in this. But from you know, talking to a few people yesterday, uh, this didn't come as a massive shock. They needed a fluky goal uh, to draw with Offaly last year. They've generally struggled against a lot of these mid-ranking teams. And right from the start, I think there were question marks about what Colm O'Rourke was trying to do tactically. With well, the side. Uh, two, two early successes in the league, which if they hadn't happened... They'd be mm. they'd be division three team next season and like it'd be as low as they've been ever. Yeah, like they showed little or nothing in the league, as you say. It was uh, it was uh, the ineptitude of other sides that kept them in the league. Uh, they were being heralded for the goal the scoring end. and lumping the ball into the full forward line for the first two weeks, and then after that, everybody was like, "Oh, that's what you're going to do, Grant." What else have you got? Oh, nothing, nothing. Yeah. Well, there seems to be some confusion as to what the game plan would be, and that they have brought in. Um, some of the backroom staff from the Mead Ladies footballers, but the style of play that the men are playing is in nowhere, looks nothing like uh, what helped the Mead Ladies to such success. And, yeah, in some ways, like, we've looked at Mead and we make an excuse, have they been just beaten down so much by the dub success that there's not young players coming through, but even still. LMFM said, one of the worst results in living memory for the Royals. Like, that's that, that, an idea... The lowest of the low. Um, you know, that's not to pour awfully in all this. Obviously, they deserve a lot of praise. And um, in a normal week, they would have been in the green. It's just that they were too busy this morning to, to chew on them into the green. But me, there's the story here where 
if you remember back, like the whole point of of uh, what the O'Rourke era was supposed to be about was beat Dublin. Yeah. Now they're not in the same competition as them. Mm. Yeah, it was it was going to revitalise the entire county, and it, nobody was expecting in year one they're going to go and beat Dublin, but that this was the start that by year three they would be there back contending in Leinster finals and being a you know a real team in a Leinster final. But like me, they've been an I wouldn't say a downward spiral to this extent for a long, long time. They had that season in Division One, but they didn't look of that sort of quality at all. And as you said, they could well be in Division Division Three and. Again, even looking at the team yesterday, it felt like they finished the game with maybe a stronger team. They started O'Rourke's on about giving four debutants. Like, did they rip it up a little bit too much when he came in? Did it need the sort of dramatic surgery that he's given this Mead side so quickly? And now, now you look at it and wonder where O'Rourke goes from here. Like they head towards the Talchin Cup. It feels if O'Rourke is to get years two and three, like they need to perform in the Talchin Cup. They can't just throw their hat at it now for the season like they need to be getting to a Talchin Cup final or winning a Talchin Cup if, if Down beat Armagh in the Ulster semi-final Down won't be in the Talchin Cup but if Armagh beat Down which you probably would expect at this stage mm. but that's going to be a very tight game like if, if Conor Laverty can keep all of his players around for the Talchin Cup then you'd make them overwhelming favourites for it yeah. There was such immense positivity uh, around the appointment wasn't there when he was on even Tommy Tiernan talking about what he wants to do with his meat set up but you look at the even listening to him afterwards, like we'll have a bit of audio there that we'll play in a while after the match. But like he, did, he didn't hide away from it. Like everything went wrong. We weren't good enough in the day. You got 70 plus minutes to score more than the opposition and we couldn't do that. It's tough, but it's an opportunity as well. We're in the Talchin Cup. We're going to make the most of it. I mean, is there any sort of excitement at all around Mead about the Talchin Cup? You know, if they were to win it, like it's, it's green shoots and it's uh, football into the summer and the panel will be fully formed next year and they won't be behind everybody else when that comes around. But like we, we didn't see Westmeath parlay success last year into promotion in the league, which is the single most important thing that could have happened. If you look at the, you know, Monaghan need to be the example for all of these smaller counties or counties who are below where they think they should be. Their um, club system is run brilliantly and they have a throughput of players constantly. And also, you know, obviously it helps when you've um, McManus playing the way that he's playing every year for the last 17 years. But at the same time, like, you know, Meath have no excuses here. Like, this is as as grim a vista as they possibly can have. And so, I don't know. We'll see how excited the, the county are. Like, we'll see how many people come out for those games. Uh, it's always hard for a county with the history of Meath to try and reset for a Talchin Cup. Like, you talk about Down, if Down were to end up there. It would be seen as a big stepping stone for them if they were to go to the Talchin Cup and go and win it. Like, Meath will look at the Talchin Cup and think, we're above this. Now, they're not. Clearly, they are not. But do the players take it seriously? Do they feel that they belong in the Talchin Cup? Do they feel that they're in a position where we need to start from the bottom again and sort of build ourselves up and prove that we're the best of the rest? Because they're a million miles off Sam Maguire level. Never mind that absolute elite of the top six or seven teams. Like, they would get whipped by any of those teams right now. So, it's going to be interesting to see the, what O'Rourke can do to keep all the players there for the Talchin Cup and... Like, because they should, they they, we, now, we, they should be getting into the latter stages of the yeah, Talchin Cup. We are we are potentially a couple of weeks away from a couple of other teams dropping down into the Talchin Cup as a result of their uh, their me Talchin Cup clashes. The one we're all looking forward to. Their league performances. So we shall see. Uh, there's uh, not that many permutations really. Um, the Loud Offaly game is suddenly a, a game of significant interest for Kildare football fans, uh, as is the Ulster football semi final. If Offaly are down, win Kildare are into the Talchin Cup. 
Yeah, fair play to Offaly too. Like, first back-to-back win in Leinster since 2006. Well, that, it, the fact that this was Mead's first game of the Championship and Offaly already had that game, I'm, I'm sure yeah, gave them a, a something of an advantage. And as you say, maybe it's too historical to be looking at it going, well, you know, Mead, Mead will always beat Offaly in Leinster. Their ambition surpasses the reality for Mead. Maybe more than any other county at the moment. But I get more than that in Anthony Miles, I'd say. It'll be interesting to hear from him. Yeah, if you're a Meath fan, we'd love to hear from you. If you're an Offaly fan, we'd love to hear from you. It's an incredible um, result. And, and obviously, um, th- they talked in the aftermath about the passing of Liam Cairns and how his name has been mentioned in the build-up to the games by the team as well. Like, an incredibly emotional victory for them. And, uh, you know, it would be remiss of us not to mention that in passing this morning too. So, that's um, Meath in the red. What else? Uh, the Amber... We're going for the Irish teams in the URC. A bit of a mixed bag over the weekend. The final round of the regular season. Uh, Munster probably the standout result. 22 all draw against the Sharks. Uh, very unlucky not to win it. Gavin Coombs was held up on the line after 80 minutes. And it was uh, kind of hard to see on the video evidence whether he did manage to touch the ball down. But it didn't matter in the end because Munster would have finished up in the same place. Uh, it was a real struggle in the first half for Munster. The Sharks absolutely killed him in the scrum. But uh, showed a lot of grit, a lot of determination. Got the draw. Secured themselves Champions Cup rugby. Uh, for next season in the knockout stages and an opportunity maybe over the next month to finally start to build a little bit of something. Uh, the, as Like everybody else, I was doing a lot of flicking through channels on Saturday when I flicked on TG Carhart to the Leinster game. I was quite confused as to what I saw and I think it might have been 55-0 when I uh, switched on. Remember, uh, Leinster were unbeaten all season yeah. in the URC. Now this was, I don't know if you would call it a second-string team. Um, it, was, it was the kids. Yeah. They probably kids. needed they probably needed an annihilation of some sort, didn't they? Why? Because like if they're just going to constantly win over and over again, they need some sort of example. Or Leo Cullen does to say like, look, this is what happens when we're not quite on it. Because at the moment he's like, Jesus, everything's going so extremely well, no matter who I put out there. Yeah, but for Leo Cullen to have that conversation, he'd need a hundred people in the room because you know the first sixty of them weren't involved. Yeah, but you can say, well, look, lads, this is the standard you need to get to if you're going to be in the A group. So it's something for him. I mean, I, I would I would look at it as some sort of positive, but the result is so ugly that probably at the moment all they're thinking is, Jesus, what happened there? Yeah, the result is pretty ugly. The result is pretty ugly. They uh, obviously have bigger fish to fry. Next week it's Toulouse, yeah. and I don't know, Toulouse are amazing. So it's gonna. there is a potential, um, Stuart Barnes writing in the paper yesterday, this is the potential to be the best game of the year. Um, one of the all-time great European games. Like, it really does. So um, Yeah, like, remember, Leinster didn't even send their coaching team over. To South Africa for this. Well, they sorry, they, they sent they, Sean O'Brien. Well, they they over. they they, they, they came back, home early. Yeah, yeah, to um, prepare for that game. So, Connacht's beaten but still alive, and we'll be playing Champions Cup next season. If if neither Glasgow or Benetton win the Challenge Cup, you were mentioning beforehand, like Toulon look by far and away the best team in that. So unless there's a shock, Connacht will be back in the Champions Cup. Uh, tight game, twenty nine twenty seven. So it's Connacht against Ulster. Yeah. In the quarterfinals, you make Ulster uh, slight favourites for that, but uh, they had some injury concerns um, in the game on Friday night. They weren't particularly exciting to watch. There's just a feeling like Ulster are on the verge of something, but are still kind of struggling a little bit for what their full identity is. I don't know. Um, to a conversation from five years ago. Well, that's the thing. That is the thing. Like, I, I see somebody talking over the weekend about maybe uh, Joey Carberry could end up there. I don't know. Like, I, Ben Healy comes off the bench and plays really well for Munster, and everybody's like, oh, wouldn't it be better if he was still Irish? Wouldn't it be? Wouldn't it be better? Jacob Stockdale's back. 
Yes, he, he is back. Uh, a mixed bag with the high ball, um, few knock-ons in the air. That if you're going to displace Mac Hansen or get into the match day 23, you can't be making those mistakes. But um, I think that uh, the commentator said that was his first try at Ravenhill in two years. Wow. Um, but he, look, he, he looks like he's enjoying his rugby again. He's still only 27. Mm. You know, uh, incredibly experienced uh, already in the top five or six of our top try scorers of all time. So yeah. um, At 22, he was the golden boy of Irish rugby. So to come back, you have to give him credit, Arsenal style. I wonder would he ever return to the to the peaks of what he had in 2018. So it's uh, Leinster against Sharks, a Munster go to Glasgow, and it's uh, Ulster against Connacht. Uh, Leinster by far and away the best team, obviously, in the competition, but it'll just be interesting that they play Toulouse next week, then they take on Sharks the week after. Uh, then there's more Champions Cup, then you're back into the knockout stages, so they're the ones with the fixture list. So yeah. then I guess we'll see. Five exciting weeks in a row if they can uh, just get over Toulouse next week. Right, what's next? Uh, we're into the green. We are going Limerick and Tipperary, uh, who were the two winners on the opening weekend of the Munster Hurling Championship. Uh, plenty to chat about, I think, it's fair to say, with uh, both of these performances. Uh, John Kiley, not happy, not happy at all with what we've all been saying over the last few weeks. When I saw the quotes, I was wondering what he was talking about. Some amount of bullshit. Yeah. Some amount of bullshit been spoken over the past week. I, I was wondering, was it the, you know, Limerick are too good, they're ruining hurling. I think it was basically that, that everyone was uh, saying that Limerick are going to cruise through Munster. They're just so far ahead of everybody else. It's like, when's the coronation? It's just a matter of time before they win that four in a row. It's, not, it's disrespectful to everybody that they're playing. And in a way, I can see where he's coming from because you look at their recent championship games, they've all been one-score games. So they win by two points yesterday. They win by two points in the All-Ireland final. It was a three-point game against Galway in the All-Ireland semi-final. Extra time in last year's Munster final. A draw with Clare before that. So these are not games where they're winning by 15 16 points where it's done with 25 minutes to go. They give teams an opportunity and maybe that's the one thing where they can slip up when there are questions and a lot of talk this morning about their discipline and the red card for Grode Hegarty yesterday and uh, maybe Seamus Flanagan was very fortunate today on the pitch, a really high hit from him as well, that maybe ascending off at the wrong time in the wrong game will somehow see them get caught. But yesterday, much like the All-Ireland final, even though Waterford were right there and they had a load of wides in the second half and you know, there was the one where Ozzie Gleeson kicked it over the bar and it was brought back for the free and Stephen Bennett misses a... You know, oh, that free, free was unbelievable. Unbelievable. He still never felt Waterford were going to win the game. Much like Kilkenny uh, in the All-Ireland final last year, even though they were right there. They just about hold you at arm's they, they should have won that. They should have won that game. Like, I know they were getting hammered at the start, but like to play with an extra man for over 22 minutes... like. They should have won that. They're not that far behind. Limerick. But actually, also, no, but it does go back to the Limerick conversation, George. Remember a couple of weeks ago, Shane was saying like he's getting bored of the Limerick dominance. But it's not like they're annihilating teams like Leinster Rugby. Like they, as Nathan just outlined, there are loads of examples. They're giving everyone a chance. And it's not just a discipline issue. It's uh, their gung-ho attitude towards scoring leaves gaps. Like Even though they're very good at avoiding conceding goals. But they they, they'll give you points. Like, they'll give you points. They yesterday. Uh, you know, they didn't rack up a massive score. Quick counterpoint. What if this is like um, the incident at Anfield where everything is going your way and suddenly you put in a brutal tackle and the whole crowd is in fuego. What if now Limerick are in fuego after this? That's, a, that's my, my prediction here is that um, Waterford have roused the beast and that... Because uh, Garot Haggerty got a second yellow. So mm. does that mean there's no ban for that? Am I... 
Is he available next week? I don't know. Saturday night I mean, to play Clare, play um, Gaelic Grounds. I don't know if Declan Hannon will be back either. What yeah. the extent of that is tied to Burke as well for Waterford. But, um, well, Waterford you were saying what people expected. They were very, very defensive. They you know, got 14 men back. They crowded the centre. Like Keane Lynch had a very quiet game. Yeah, he didn't but score. The one yeah. thing with Limerick that we've seen over the last few years is that if Keane Lynch has a quiet game today, he ain't going to have a quiet game next Saturday night. No, and also, like the weather is still crap. Like I, I, I do feel like they're like uh, top of the ground, ball travelling very far. You know, the puck outs go an extra 10 yards. They bring their bigger men in. At some point, Kyle Hayes might go back up to the forwards. Limerick are just getting getting going here. Everybody, calm down, calm down. Yeah, I mean, you were saying is that Waterford waking the beast? Is it not just that we're underrating Waterford a bit? That they're actually probably one of the biggest contenders to Limerick. Well, let's wait and see. Let's wait and see how this because uh, we can easily overreact to the first week of championship fixtures. It'd be easy, I think, if you're. Um, Tipperary not to overreact not to be excited mm-hmm. uh, they should be they should be excited they, I, I feel like um, somebody was saying they were coming in under the radar not really though didn't feel that way uh, tip of the scoring power like the, the problem for Waterford is for them to contain Limerick they have to be so defensive and James Skettle was on the hurling pod last night making the point like 19 points is never going to beat Limerric it was always what Andy Moore and you say about Mayo when they play, play the dubs like you had to score 20 points you knew you had to get to 20 somehow to have any chance and actually when you look at the and again like if you're going out against Limerick 19 points you're thinking you're going to have to get 25, 26 minimum whereas tip you feel have that like 5.22 yesterday mm. alright they were given a couple of soft goals very early on but 5 goals in a Munster Championship game having scored a heap of goals in the league as well except obviously in the game against Limerick in the semi-final uh, but you know just 5.22, Jason Ford didn't score from play. I'm interested. I um, think OTB need to do a segment on how poor punditry has gone, says Joe Show. It's poor across many sports, but the Sunday game is now not worth watching. Dowling refuses to comment on any Limerick discipline issues, and somebody else um, uh, pointed out that uh, they did loads on um, uh, discipline from another team last year. It does, it, it like, it does strike me that um, getting the former teammate to do the bit on the discipline stuff doesn't make that much sense is there nobody else who can, you're going to take that bit and I'll, I'll like yeah well Ursula Jacob was there sitting beside Shane Dowling uh, I think what Shane Dowling was saying was these are incidents that are happen in a 100 miles an hour game of hurling and particularly the Seamus Lanigan one when you slow it right down it, it looks bad like it's a big big hit on the Waterford player is a little bit high throws the shoulder in a little bit too much the point Dowling was making which I would actually agree with him is that's on the pitch. These things happen. Referee, take care of it. You know, an official wandering down to have a little puck at yeah. Gerard Hegarty is totally unacceptable. And then a smile on his face as he's jogging off after he's been sent off. I do agree with that bit, right? But that doesn't mean that the bits on the field are acceptable either. And so what happens is they, these two become part of the same conversation. Mm. This thing over here is far worse than what my teammates have done over here. Just ignore this bit here. I'm going to go over here and talk nothing about everything but this. It's um, classic deflection. What about, what about, what about? Well, look, what you need is, you, what you need is Tommy Walsh, uh, you know, who was uh, live at the game for us yesterday, where there's no freeze. <laughs> no freeze at all. Nah, nothing, nothing, nothing to see. Fair enough. Fair enough. Like that's the that's the look, the Kilkenny lads respect these Limerick lads because they know they they would have um, met fire with fire. Very difficult for Shane, like Shane Dowling's younger, I think, still than quite a few lads on that Limerick squad. Uh, but yeah, he was put in a dip. Like, is he going to come so, and yeah, hammer? That, so that's not his fault, right? That's what I'm is saying. Is he going to come like, and hammer the two lads? Probably not. Like maybe maybe it's Ursula Jacob who needs to take that one on. Give us uh, give us your views. Uh, leave a comment on the YouTube stream. We've got one last green. Uh, we do. Uh, 
Manchester. You didn't want this at all, Nathan. You can distance yourself from this. I thought we were going for Galway at one stage, but no, we're going for Manchester, uh, both City and United. Uh, Obviously, the weekend started well for Manchester City uh, with the Arsenal result, uh, which means it's very much in their own hands now for the title ahead of that game on Wednesday. Uh, Then they win the most forgettable FA Cup semi-final of all time. I I was against this because I just thought it was such a nothing weekend of FA Cup semi-finals. Why that game was played at Wembley against Sheffield United, where... Again, such as the fixture list, like Sheffield United, albeit pretty much secured promotion, um, but like they're playing twice a week all the time. The stadium is half empty. There was no energy to the game at all. Sheffield United offered little or nothing. Riyad Mahrez is brilliant. Uh, probably the most uh, underappreciated footballer in English football over the last 10 years. Scores a hat-trick. Uh, so City he was player of the year three. one year. He was, yes, uh, when Leicester won the league, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, but I still think there's like a, if you're picking, you know, yeah, people are always a bit, yeah, easy Aussie, you know, you know easy Aussie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, top class, top class, Riyad Mahrez. Uh, and then yesterday's game was dull and dour for most of it until everyone started to get a little bit tired and it opened right up uh, between United and Brighton. Brighton, they had their chances. Not particularly the one... Evan Ferguson, apparently, we saw footage of him arriving and uh, Bobby Zamora was on telly saying, oh, during the week he knew he wasn't going to play, but then, actually, I think they left it to the right the last second and he went out in the field and just couldn't go. Yeah, it's a real shame. Um, shame because Dennis Sundav was so central to Brighton, the third-choice striker. He had that chance if his first touch was better, that would have been game-set and match and Brighton would have gone through and they definitely would have been in the green. But I thought I, I think it was a good cup tie yesterday like far better than the first one I thought it was like it was a game full of errors and nobody played that well but there was chances galore like it could have really could have gone either way and it was probably perfectly encapsulated by the penalty shootout To the point uh, to the point that we were having the conversation last week um, about Rio Ferdinand it's a better season for Man United having won the Carabao Cup if Man United were to upset Man City in the cup final almost nothing else would matter for the rest of the year if they were just able to do that for the Man, for the Man United fans I'm having that I'm having I'm having that uh, all of a sudden that's a better season than Arsenal suddenly where are you on that? Yeah. where they are. I, I was having this debate with Arthur in here on Thursday night and he was uh, very passionate that uh, if Arsenal don't win the league it's you know, sort of a forgettable season, the Manchester United season. Yeah. I think what Arsenal have had over the last year far surpasses. It has to, it has to end well for Arsenal. It, if it blows up now, if they get hammered during the week and then basically don't win that many more points for the rest of the season... There's still a there's still a scenario where it's been there like it's they're a bit still of a there on Wednesday night playing in one of the biggest Premier League games in recent times where it's all on the line. Yeah, yeah. no, I get that. I get that. I, I I was certainly I mean I'm not having any. It's a better season for Man United winning the Carabao Cup because if they win the Carabao Cup and don't do anything else, this was before they got absolutely trounced by Sevilla and then scraping through against Brighton yesterday. If they the the other potential here is that they get hammered by Man City who are cascading to glory, securing the um, second leg of the treble. Will it be the second at that stage? Is it cup final after? It is, yeah. Cup final is 3rd of June. Yeah. But, um, so it's just before the Champions League final. Yeah, no, it, look, it's, it's, like, it's a simple answer. It's been a very successful season for both Arsenal and Manchester United. United see, like, compared to this time last year under Ralph Ragnick, it was a complete disaster. So it's way better this season. Already won cup, into another cup final, first Manchester Derby cup final. They're probably going to get top four in the Premier League. It's, it's been an undoubted successful season. It's just it's been pocketed by tragic results of 7-0 and 3-0 away to Sevilla and Anfield, the first two games of the season. That's why it's happened. And the reason that City are in these green performance rankings in simply because they're on for the treble, the first one of the century. That's oh, yeah. it. And if they were just to do a treble, it would be so sickening for Man, City, Man United fans. Uh, it's inevitable. They should have done the treble already. 
They're underachieving, if anything. We've gone way over. It's nine minutes past eight. That is this week's episode of the Gillette Labs Performance Rankings. OTBAN's Performance Rankings with Gillette. Right. Braeburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of Off The Ball. Braeburn Coffee is coming to an apple green near you. New Braeburn locations are popping up every month. Visit applegreenstores.com forward slash Braeburn to find your nearest Braeburn coffee experience. After the break, we're talking about Ireland being annihilated by England in the rugby with Alison Miller. First, Colm O'Rourke's reaction to Mead's loss. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. Right, Alison Miller is with us to talk to us about uh, Ireland's defeat at home against England in the Six Nations. Alison, it seems weird to say it, but maybe it wasn't as bad as it could have been? No, let's put this into context, um, the whole tournament. They're the first team to keep England under 50 points, so... Um, I know they didn't score, so that's a big area they'll have to look at because they haven't scored. If you look at their attack, I suppose, unfortunately, they have scored one try against one, or Wales, a penalty against France, a penalty try against Italy, and no score against England. So their defence really improved over the weekend. As I said, the first team so far in the Championship that haven't let England score over 50 points, which they've done to... The other teams, but um, yeah, not to score is, I suppose, the girls will be disappointed and loads of areas to work on going forward now. It's kind of, I guess, we are clutching the straws at this point. The, the wreckage of this season um, is going to be very difficult to understand long term. Uh, are there any green shoots that you're seeing that the side is improving, uh, notwithstanding the fact that they did keep them under 50 points? One aspect but- or one argument to that might be just that England took their foot off the gas in the second half. Yeah, like, I will be honest, I don't think England were, I'd say England will be disappointed with their performance. Um, they had a lot of errors and they had so much possession. They weren't clinical when they had opportunities to score. But that's down to Ireland too. Ireland forced them into a lot of knock-ons and Ireland's defensive sets were very good, turned over balls, forced them into errors. England were ill-disciplined around the rook time sometimes, but Ireland you know, we're responsible for some of that. But at the same time, and this is no respect or disrespect to the players, um, England are coming there knowing, I suppose, that they're going to win the game. And then maybe it's hard to get up for a game like that. But at the same time, England have such a competitive 23 and beyond that they're essentially playing for places for next weekend. So there'll be girls there that played for England the weekend that might not start now or might not get on the 23 because of their performance at the weekend. So, you know, at the same time, there was consequences for, there is consequences for those girls not performing against Ireland. But yeah, there is green shoots. Ireland's defensive structure looks a lot better. Um, Their spacing looks a lot better. Um, Like their tackle, their missed tackles is still quite high, but team against England that's going to be the case for every team in the tournament with the exception of France if we're being honest so um, yeah good improvements around that area I thought the rook height had come down a lot from last week so that was better um, green shoots in terms of like I think like Derv Nicolvard has had a really good tournament um, watching her there on Saturday she's full of energy she's quite small she's playing eight she's quite small she's got really good footwork Um She's always beating, she always beats the first defender generally. And she's so smart. Like there was a, a time on Saturday where she had stepped a few defenders, carried, and she was on the ground, releases the ball, gets back up on her feet and carries again. So she's been really good, full of energy. She's absolutely everywhere. 
I think Nicola Friday's had a very consistent tournament. Um, Sam on him there, she's defensively so, so good around the park. Like she probably herself look at, um, you know, her line out drawing and think she'll have to improve on that. But around the park, she's been very good. And, and Neve Jones again, just, or sorry, Sorry, I'm mixing the two. Not that I'm mixing the two enough. Neve Jones is so great. I obviously know. Neve Jones will have to improve her um, throwing in the line out. And she's been really good around the park. And then you're looking at Sam Monaghan there, who, you know, carries hard, offload, defensively very good. So, like, the four of them there, I think, have had consistent tournaments. And um, it's difficult for this group of players. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's hard when you're a young player. And, like, if you're on social media and you're reading this stuff that comes that you know a lot of it uneducated really some of it and it you know not not about the performance but other things so look um you'd hope like that this is a really difficult time for these players but hopefully we'll have a galvanizing effect on these players and that they'll come together now and work really 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 hard to try and uh, catch up and improve all those th- things that they need to improve and like all they can do is work hard and try and get better and keep their heads down and you know not try and like it's a difficult one isn't it social media and all this these things now like um, you didn't have that years ago um, like I started playing in 2010 and I was lucky that we were competitive enough even from that stage on but like before then you know like Fiona, Coughlin, Lynn Cantwell, they would have been shipping big defeats, but you didn't have the media pressure then. So it's about just keeping your head down and working really hard because that's what they'll have to do. And I suppose um, they'll have to look at their improvements, but attack is really where you want to see the improvements with this team because they haven't scored um, tries. And like, well, they scored barely any tries, but, um, you know, we, we don't see like the front door, back door options. We're just kind of, seen quite a basic attack. So that's an area that they look to improve. As obviously a lot in that there, Alison. It was interesting listening to Neve Briggs ahead of the game on the criticism and uh, the understanding the coaching team have that you know, 20, 21-year-olds are going to be on social media. You can tell them stay away from it, ignore it, but human nature is they're going to be on Twitter, they're going to be on Instagram. All of this is going to be feeding in and that they are trying to work in the background to keep that belief there and for them to ignore the noise that's around it but it's very very difficult in most sports you would say setting up defensively is the easy part and it was damage limitation it was always going to be damage limitation on Saturday so they knew what England were going to bring Ireland when they actually have the ball what was your assessment of when they had opportunities to get at England what they did at the weekend we didn't have very many opportunities but um, at times we probably didn't look like we forced, there was one chance in the second half, I think, and we we stretched them wide and gone back over to the right hand side and building good fa- phases. And Lauren Delaney kind of uh, put a ball through along the ground with a kick and just they're kind of the wrong option at the time. You want to keep building phases, and then England turned the ball over again. So um, I suppose, being honest, I suppose it didn't look hugely threatening when they had the ball, but you know. You can still you still have got ability to score if you grind it out and you hold on to the ball. You know you you can score, but I think just that they took the wrong options at like different times and kicked the ball away or um, just got turned over. Then so we didn't we weren't actually able to see much attack because we didn't really have the ball. But um, yeah, like that that was a like 
an example of very good attack that ended up then being a tur- like England turn it over then because the chip through didn't work. So, um, and I just think in regards to your to the thing about social media that you know twenty twenty one year olds um, they will be on social media. Well, maybe that's a learning for them. If you talk to some of the men's players, they some of them won't go on social media for that five or six weeks, you know. And if that's something that helps those players, and it is difficult, like I didn't grow up with social media, I'm not into it at all myself even now. But like, if that's the hard hit you have to take for the six weeks, so you're not reading very negative material and look a lot of times from, <laughs> let's be honest, people that have no face to their name or no name to their whatever bio, um, maybe that's a learning and maybe it's a thing that they need to do. Like, and maybe they need to take the hit on that for five or six weeks. And if that helps, it could help. You know, maybe that's something that they'll, they'll, they'll decide next year. You know what? Can I do it out for six weeks? Maybe I can. And I go back on it. Um, because they are professionals now. And you will you will hear some of the professional men's players. They will do that. Because when I was talking to an experienced player recently who's retired. And he said, look, he just tended not to read it. Because when you're being told how great you are, generally... That's not the case. Like you're being told you're absolutely fantastic. And sometimes, and then when you're told you're absolutely terrible, but usually it's in the middle. Now I know for these girls at the moment, they're not winning and people are saying like horrible stuff as well. Um, Maybe that's just a choice that they have to take the hard hit, (laughs) get off. I'm not on social media, so I don't really know. But, uh, you know, like maybe that's been part of a professional approach that they'll take and they might be able to. Yeah. And maybe some of the players maybe can be on it and be very good at not letting it affect them. And they'll know it as individuals, whether they'll learn from this year because they're young, they'll learn from going, well, did all that negativity on social media, did that affect me? Did that get into my head? No. Okay, I can stay on it. Yes, maybe I'll get off it for six yeah. weeks. But that's part of learning to be a professional player. One last point. So, One last point, Alison. Yeah. The, the uh, World 15, the three tiers uh, competition that is going to be introduced. There's a lot of talk that we're going to be in the third tier of that. And so therefore we'll be playing against um, some of the weakest teams around the world. In a way, right? Uh, is it our own hubris? Are, are we Meath? Uh, bragging about um, not being in the Talton Cup and then ended up in the Talton Cup and being too proud to go into it. Might it actually be better for this team to win some games against opposition, knowing that every year you'll have the Six Nations and you can measure yourself against better teams? Because that's where we are in the world. That's where a decade-long uh, process of underinvestment in the women's game has left us a third-tier nation. And we need to stop thinking and pretending that we're a Tier 1 until we start spending like a Tier 1. I don't think it's all about money, though, either. Like, so... Yeah, look, don't get me wrong. If you had an extra 10 grand there, you might entice more players to uh, be full-time. That's being honest. But money doesn't, you know, cover over the cracks. It's not going to improve players straight away. It'll help, like any team (laughs) that has more money. It does help. It doesn't make you world-class overnight. But mm, that's a hard question to answer because I think, A, I would never be a person that thinks, you always have to aspire to be better. You've got to be realistic, but I don't think, like, I'm not even sure who's in tier three, like, who are those teams? And if, if you're... Kazakhstan, Jamaica. Yeah. 
who are they? Anyone else? Kazakhstan, Jamaica? Um, Spain are going to be tier two. Unless we win at the weekend, we're going to go into a playoff against Spain. Spain are going to be tier two. So behind those nations. Like, does it we raise questions about the future of the Six Nations? I saw the England coach talking about this last week as to how viable it was for England and France to keep racking up these sort of scores. That if Ireland are a tier three team, and this is hard, I'm sure, for you to even consider where you were a decade ago to be having this conversation. Like, is the future of the Six Nations under threat when you do have such a gap in quality between the teams? Hard question to answer again. And I think Ireland needs to be tier two, end of. They need to be there. They need to be, you know, keeping an eye on tier one, but not being going down to tier three. And that's being really honest. And um, like people saying, like England and France have, well, England have drove standards and have done everything to progress this game to where it is. So, um, like, it's up to the other teams to catch up and the other unions to do everything in their power to make Ireland, England, or Ireland, Scotland, Wales, Italy competitive. And you can't fault England or France for being progressive and doing more. They All they can go out and just play and you know, they have to play the best they can play and be ruthless because if they don't do that, that's not good for the game as a whole. It's not good for the future of the game where we'll where be in 10 years. It's, so, uh, different questions there, but, um, you know, France, England, like, it's not so long ago where these teams weren't hammering all the other teams. So, like, that's... You can't, like what I'm trying to say is like, we just need those other teams to catch up and whatever they need to do to do that, those unions and those countries got to do it. And they can't be making excuses, just got to do it. And, you know, there is eight jobs now advertised in the the RFU for um, like athletic development. And then a kind of, I think, basically like a talent ID slash scout developing younger players. So like, hopefully that will work and we'll see young girls yeah. coming through. And we don't know what young girls could through and make a massive impact. Well, they, there needs to be an urgency around the appointment of those and there needs to be like a public-facing declaration that this is the low point and we're working, you know, it, as opposed to just putting Greg and Neve out, I think um, they're a bit... Yeah, and there needs the to moment. be the right people need oh, to totally. get those jobs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah, Alison, good stuff. And Thanks a million for joining us this morning. Cheers. Yeah, no problem. Have a great day, guys. Alison Miller, give us some thoughts on uh, Ireland being beaten 48-0 at the weekend. Um, We'll obviously uh, keep covering this story. Uh, We'll come back to it uh, later in the week. It's 25 minutes past eight. We're turning our attention to Manchester United. Andy Mitten is with us. Andy, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. Okay, thank you. Um, A mixed week for Manchester United. It could have been a sensational week if they managed to beat Sevilla. However, a cup final against Manchester City uh, at the very end of the season... It's going to keep things spicy in training. It's going to keep the rivalry spicy um, on the streets of Manchester and all around the world. So, uh, very, very important to get that win in the penalty shootout yesterday. Yeah, it was. A June Cup final will absolutely keep things going right till the very end. And we've not always been able to say that about Manchester United in recent seasons. Remember last season, the season was over by, by February. Manchester United were out of the league and, and out of all the cups as well. And... You say a mixed week, yeah. Going into yesterday, it'd been a terrible week. That result in Seville was it was was horrendous. Manchester United were completely taken apart in Andalusia on Thursday night. I, I was shocked by it. Days after, 
I've seen Sevilla play this season. They're not a good Sevilla side. And they scored five goals past Manchester United after United went up 2-0 ahead in the first leg. So that's a real shame because that Europa League is a very good tournament, which I think was worth winning. And especially with Arsenal going out, Manchester United were favourites, but there's no way Manchester United deserves to go through. We're absolutely battered in Seville. And it just wasn't good enough at all. It really... Um, fell short of expectations. So Sunday, I got to half time and I'm thinking, okay, at least Manchester United are not getting destroyed here. Brighton are very, very good. And I spoke to lots of um, several players, coaches after the game, and they were all very complimentary about Brighton. And then it goes to penalty shootout. It could go either way. Manchester United were, were fortunate uh, because it was a very, very even game. I, I'm really impressed by Brighton. From uh, United's perspective, uh, I guess a week like this actually just reminds everybody how big the gap is to Manchester City and just how much work still needs to be done. Huge strides have been made, but there's still a load more to do. Yeah, it's it's hard to reach finals. You know, Manchester United reached the Europa League final under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, knocking out AC Milan and Roma, it wasn't difficult. People just assumed that Manchester United would get there. It showed how difficult it is in these competitions. And you look at the league table, that's the reality of it. Uh, Manchester City are, are clearly the strongest team. I've been very surprised at how Liverpool have, have fallen away this season. Less so with Chelsea, because I, I could see the chaos pre-season as they tried to sign anyone who'd ever registered to play association football. I just thought this is just going to be a complete mess, and it was. Arsenal have surprised me how good they've been. They were excellent at Old Trafford earlier on in the season, and Newcastle's improvement has been ahead of, of, of schedule, if you like, and I knew they were going to get stronger. And then you've got Brighton, Aston Villa done done really well too. And Tottenham, Manchester United's next game is on Thursday in against Tottenham. I don't have a clue what to expect with Tottenham. One of the best games at Old Trafford this season, probably the best, was Manchester United's performance against Tottenham. And then I didn't see them playing Newcastle, but I was getting reports coming through. The 1-0 down, 2-0, 3-0, (laughs) 4-0, 5-0. Completely crazy. But your original point is right. Manchester United are not there yet. Need to strengthen. Clearly need a number nine. That's becoming apparent in every game. The team doesn't score enough goals and need strengthening in other areas. But Eric Tenag has done a really good job. For his first season, he's already won a trophy. Top four is, is looking good. And I spoke to him about this after the game. He sort of reinforced uh, the progress that he was making. It's key now to finish in the top four. And then there's a small matter of uh, an FA Cup final against, um, yeah, City. We were covering the Forest game last weekend and uh, Kenny Cunningham was on co-commentary and obviously it was Maguire and Lindelof and I think it was maybe five clean sheets in a row in the Premier League for Maguire at, at that stage and uh, Kenny's view was that if United stayed with the four centre-backs for next season so with Lindelof and Maguire as the backup to Martinez and Varane that Ten Hag would be quite happy with that uh, and that he almost put it back in Harry Maguire that Harry Maguire shouldn't be happy to be third or fourth choice that you know he should be looking to either get out or force his way into the team when you look at the errors on Thursday night and maybe how much better than United were with even Luke Shaw playing at centre-back yesterday ahead of Maguire 
what's your sense of what his future at the club is like? Because it feels at the moment like you, like you pity him almost. Even the, I know the way he talks after the game, he, he talks a, co- a good game and he still feels and sounds like he's a confident player, but he just looked a broken man on Thursday night. Well, I spoke to him last last night after the game. It, it wasn't for as a journalist. I just spoke to him. I saw him in the tunnel and I had a chat with him about uh, non-league football, like you do. And he was very relieved at that result because he's the Manchester United captain. I think he carries himself very well as a captain, but clearly football is what be playing football. And Manchester United fans might agree with Kenny and say, yeah, keep all of those players. And then you've got a very good defence there because Rafael Varane does pick up injuries and you need cover. Every team needs cover. You, you saw how much Liverpool suffered in recent years when they had defensive injuries. It, it completely affected the season. But from Harry Maguire's perspective, and he's given me no indication of what he wants to do next, um, I don't think he will be happy playing 15 games a season. And we've been here before. This was you know, Chris Smalling in 2018. He went to see Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and, and said, you know, Am I going to be playing 35 games this year? Because I'd accept that. And Ollie was like, it's going to be 25 games. And he's like, I'm not happy with that. So he went to Rome and he's done really well. And he never regretted that decision. I think Harry would be expecting to play the majority of games wherever he's at. I don't think he'd get a guarantee that that's going to happen at Manchester United because he's not the first choice central defender. You also have to add in other um, factors. Manchester United need money. Absolutely need money. Does that come from um, new people who own the club? But United also need money to stay within the financial fair play limits. And Harry Maguire is a player who would realise tens of millions, certainly not the amount Manchester United paid for him with that huge fee from Leicester City. And age isn't on his side now either. But Manchester United need to sell in the summer to bring some money in to help uh, improving the squad with the number nine that I said. I think Harry's got a contract there. The manager absolutely likes him. When I was speaking to him last night, it was just about him being a, a captain. He's, he's really aware of the club. Just the things he asks me. It's what a captain should be asking. He's really aware of what Manchester United are and the standing of the club. But all that is secondary if you're not playing matches. I know you can't wait to get past all the football and back to the real stuff of the transfer window uh, <laughs> during the summer. Oh. Like, oh. you know, Football fans, the way we look at this, it's, well, get rid of him, get rid of him, get rid of him, get rid of him. And there's a lot of that yeah. with uh, underperforming Manchester United players. And again, after Thursday night, you look at David De Gea and think, well, if Eric Ten Hag wants to play out from the back in that modern style with a modern goalkeeper, that's not uh, David De Gea's strength. But he raises the issue that a lot of these players are on enormous wages and yeah. it's not going to be easy to get rid of a lot of those players. How do you see that playing out? If they need to bring money in for various different reasons, then um, you know, who knows how the ownership goes over the next few weeks. But is Eric Ten Hag going to be able to get rid of the players he wants to get rid of? Or is he? would you fear he's going to end up with a bulked up squad again next season of you know, four or five guys on massive wages, probably big egos, feeling they should be playing, but actually he doesn't want them at the club? Difficult. And it, and it is difficult at, at other big clubs. But the, the point is true. Because Manchester United are not absolutely flying, the demand for Manchester United fringe players or players who aren't featuring all the time isn't the size it should be. And they all earn too much money. So Gavi De Gea, the first one you mentioned, another one I spoke to after the game, spoke to him at length, actually. Spoke really well. He was 
the best paid goalkeeper in the world when he renewed his current contract. Uh, is he the best goal in the world? Probably not. He's had an offer for a new contract. It's a lot, lot lower than the last one. Um, Eric Tenag wants to keep him. He feels that he's learning, um, even at his, this late stage in his career, to play the Manchester United way that, that he wants. I thought he had a very good game against Brighton. I thought he had a really bad game against uh, Seville. But he's, he's, had a, he's had a good season. I know he divides Manchester United fans, but he, I don't think replacing the goalkeeper is, is the absolute priority at the moment. And if you do, then suddenly you might be paying £60 million to bring in another goalkeeper. And maybe that money is better spent outfield. And there's a good person in the dressing room. He's been there for a long time. Uh, I can see why he causes doubts. The transfer window, yeah. You ought to see the state of the messages I get on Instagram. <laughs> Every single day. You should publish them sometime. You should just like do it. I mean, I'm sure through. we're breaching all sort of privacy stuff, but you know, it's like, please, can you give me a private podcast where you just outline exactly <laughs> who Manchester United are going to be signing this summer? Andy, you need yeah, to set up. Sure. A, you need to set up an OnlyFans for that stuff. That's the yeah, that's, sure. that's the bit where the money comes in, rolling in. <laughs> yeah, I, I give you as much time as you want. You know, tell you um, everything. You've got other players there, like. Scott McTominay, who probably would get a lot of money, who probably does want to play more football, who probably would do a good job at somebody like Newcastle United. But again, Ten Hag is probably going to want to keep as many players as possible. There's players who uh, will leave. Phil Jones has not been playing, his contract's up. And it might be for the managers to call time on the Manchester United career of people like um, Anthony Martial. But this idea of getting rid of 15 players, nah. That's not happening. This is just going to be a normal summer of pruning the squad and improving the squad. And Ten Arden needs to be backed to continue doing the good job that he's doing. And if he isn't, don't be surprised if he starts looking elsewhere. Like That range of outcome is still on the table while the ownership question is still up in the air, right? Yeah, exactly. So... The Glazers might be saying this is business as usual, but I go back to that first point. Manchester United need money. Getting in the Champions League will help. And it does nobody any good running down their asset. Manchester United need to remain um, competitive. But the ownership is is the big elephant in the room. What's going to happen? What's going to happen with the stadium, with the training ground? Who's going to be taking over? Are the Glazers going to sell? We saw more protests against the Glazers at Wembley. There's um, a protest planned for the Aston Villa game at the weekend. The fans have made their views very, very clear about how they feel about the Glazers being in charge of Manchester United on a consistent basis, win or lose. What's your instinct about a time frame on this when we might know one way or another? Honestly, don't know. Nobody knows because... The, the the dates keep getting moved. At first, people were saying we want this to be concluded in the first quarter. I speak to people who know a lot more about business th- than I do. And they guide me on this and the Glazers hold all the cards. Yes, they'd look um, slightly stupid if they suddenly said Manchester United are not for sale anymore because they will have be perceived to be time wasters. Um, there's very definite offers from, from Qatar from Sir Jim Ratcliffe as well. I think a worry for fans is that the Glazers take on even more debt um, to finance the stadium development and the Glazers stay in charge and, and load more debt onto the club. That's a worry for, for a lot of Manchester United fans. 
Andy, we'll leave it there for now. Good stuff. Thanks a million. Thank you. Andy Mitten, give us some thoughts on the situation at Manchester United after their uh, performance the weekend. They've got to be happy with the fact they're still in the Cup. Oh, yeah. It would have been a disaster if they'd, if they'd lost that. Well, I think off the back of, of Thursday night, even the manner of the defeat to Sevilla, like two own goals in the first leg, two absolutely horrific mistakes. You could even question maybe the hair for the other goal. The header could he have done a little bit better. Uh, but like such basic errors that sort of reinforced all the questions that were there about De Gea and Maguire uh, like I, I, I find it hard to see a way back for Maguire to re-earn the confidence of Manchester United supporters that every time he's on the pitch they're not all going uh oh no you got to get rid like but to the point he did cost 80 million mm. he is on 80 million as a result of that the, you know, the agent goes in and goes you've been a record fee for a defender yeah, you know, we'll have like a record amount of money. I don't know the exact number on his contract. The De Gea contract is amazing. 117 million over the last six seasons he's earned. That's now you got to have a good agent. That is that is like wow. An agent who was so good that somehow they managed not to get that factory that time. They're in the, 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 the conversations in the like, but he's not very good with his feet. His goalkeeper doesn't need his feet. He's good with his hands. Makes yeah. the big saves. Made some big saves yesterday. Yeah, is that good enough? Uh not the way Ten Hag wants to play. Like, oh, they want for, to for Ederson. Mm. Yeah, give me Ederson. Uh, right, we will be hosting a live UEFA Champions League roadshow in partnership with Just Eat coming your way on the third of May in the Mansion House in Dublin. We'll be joined by UEFA Champions League winners John O'Shea and Wes Brown, along with Paul Merson, Arsenal and Aston Villa legend. It's sure to be a brilliant night's entertainment. It's an exclusive off-air event. Tickets are limited, so don't delay. Go to offtheball.com forward slash events. We will see you on the night. Just Eat the official food delivery partner of the UEFA Champions League. Looking forward to that. Yeah, can't wait. In the presenter's chair. Yeah. Well, myself and Joe. It's been a while since we have co-hosted a road show. The last one also had two Manchester United legends, and yeah. that was a quiet night. Yeah. So I'd expect something similar this time. Yeah, looking forward to it. Uh, Shane Hannon, good morning to you. You're live from the Crucible. Ah, uh, Jer, Nathan. How are, th- how are th- I'm feeling very, 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 very smug this morning because um, I'm sitting in a pretty special place. Pretty special place. This is like her Nathan Feathered Augusta, I think. Uh, uh, I, I Looks like you're on a rooftop, to be honest. Yeah, I thought you were doing your um, your GMAC impersonation. Oh, you're actually, oh, yeah, okay. We've got, a, we've got a selfie stick. So this is, the this is of course, the famous, the now infamous table where the uh, the orange powder was um, The security's displayed. obviously still quite la- lax as <laughs> crucible. It's, um, yeah, I'm probably the first person to have a selfie stick in this room, but it's... Um, it's the only way I can show you everything. I mean, there's a lot to show you, so we'll, uh, we'll do a little walk around. I'm, I'm sure you've been watching the Super and keeping keeping on top of it all, have you? Yeah. Watching John Higgins last night. This, this is the, the very Super Higgins. Nothing that ages you as much as watching Snooker and going, John Higgins is still... Like, I remember watching John Higgins when I was a, when I was actually a kid. And there he is, still at the top of his game. Shame. He's even older than you. For our podcast listeners, tell us what we're seeing. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're essentially on the crucible floor here at the moment, so you've got the... It's basically just myself and the Hoover uh, in the Crucible at the moment. Uh, so you've got table one behind me here where Ronnie O'Sullivan was playing the other day. And, of course, the the, uh, the Orange Powder incident happened. Robert Milkins and C. Jaoui's names still on the seats there last night. And table two over here where, as you were saying, Nathan, John Higgins was um, victorious and imperious in his win over Karen Wilson. Like, you wouldn't back against John Higgins going all the way now. This is the thing. Um, the draws kind of open up a little bit for Ronnie O'Sullivan. And the, on the other side, I'd have to say... He's got Luca Brussel in the quarterfinals next, and Luca Brussel's a player who hasn't really been at this stage of the, the Crucible before the World Championship. So 
I'm not going to back against Ronnie O'Sullivan. I don't think anyone is. Um, but to just be standing down here, like I get chills every time I walk in and I'm taking a seat. But to be down on this, like this is the exact place where, you know, Ken Doherty won that World Championship in 97 and Alex Higgins stood literally right here when he was holding back the tears, hugging his, hugging his child in 82. Um, you know, it's the room where Ronnie O'Sullivan had that five minute, 20 second maximum. There's just so much history. So I, I, I kind of... I'm slagging Nathan a little bit last week in the office going, Jesus, the, the man won't stop talking about Augusta. But when you're in a sporting theatre, literally like this, uh, and you think of all the, the history that, it, that it's been here, it just, it's a, it's, a, it's a privilege and an honour to be here, to be honest. The one thing they don't do at Augusta is block, ho- block off half the history for you when you're uh, in attendance. I, I do wonder this when I'm watching on TV. So obviously the two tables are beside each other and they put down the screen in between. As to as a viewing experience, how that works because and even for the players, when you're hearing the cheers from the other table and the applause, uh, just as they're about to go, how what's that dynamic like? Strange one, um, yeah. Because and there are, there are even certain seats like you see some of the seats behind the behind me. So the the divider, I don't know if you'd be able to see the divider if I pull it up. Uh, it's yeah. mainly just lights to see, but the divider is above me. So there's some seats that, that would essentially be able to see both tables, which I'm sure is a little bit off-putting. But it, it, yeah, that's, and sometimes the claps do maybe put off the other table a little bit. But but I think it's 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 better this way. You know, it, it, there's nothing like the crucible when it gets to the one table setup. So from the semi-finals onwards, there's just the one table, and it's it's cavernous. Like it's it's quite tight with the with the, the two tables. Like you see, there's not much room here between the trying to stand between them there's only a couple of metres at most between the two tables Yeah. Um, but yeah, and a lot of players kind of give out about that and even John Higgins when he started playing at the Crucible he hated it I think his first game at the Crucible when he was a younger teenager was, was a 10-3 defeat and he said it was too tight and he hated it uh, and he grew to love it became a four time world champion and, and I think that's that's the thing about the the Crucible once you get used to the to the venue to the experience to, to the tight spaces as well I mean, there's no stopping you. Ronnie Sullivan's going for a record eighth title as well this year. So it's, um, it, I would say as a viewing experience, it, it's up there with anything I've ever been at. Like I've bumped into a lot of Irish people over here uh, this, week, uh, this weekend as well. And it, it's, it's, it, there's only 900 seats, I think. So it's, they, could, like, they could probably fill a theatre that's much bigger. But to be honest, the Crucible Theatre, the history that's here, Sheffield as well is a brilliant city to host it. Um, I don't think they could ever move it out of here. I was going to uh, say, ask about the capacity. It doesn't look that big, and 900 is intimate. For sure, and, and you can kind of sense that as well. Like when the when the, when the players come out, even yesterday, and, and this kind of it leads into the viewing experience question as well. Um, Kyron Wilson was was clearly playing terribly against John Higgins yesterday in that 13-2 uh, defeat, but there were little moments where you could hear his cue. You're so close to the action that you could hear a ping off his cue, which which was indicating that there was something wrong with the wood. Um, I mean, Ken Doherty has spoken very, very well about this, and they, some people might, might see it as a, as a boring conversation. But uh, wood is clearly a living thing. It's not like the, these cues are made of carbon or, or graphite or something else. Um, so if something goes wrong with the cue, there's nothing they can do. It's like Stephen Hendry lost his cue or had his cue damaged on, on an airplane years ago and was never the same player afterwards. Um, but but being so close to the action, you can hear little things like that and, and, and the reaction from Kyron as he's banging his cue in the ground. These are things you don't pick up on television, maybe. So, is um, wood a living thing when it's turned into a queue? <laughs> I would have thought it's, it's like, no it's longer like, well, a living thing by then. It, the, the wand shop in Harry Potter, like picking up your first queue, is is a pretty special moment, Nathan. It's like a golf club, you know. 
It's uh, it's, it's one of those things. But uh, just being this close, like literally, this is the front row. And Go on, I mean, get up on the table, Shane. Get up on the table. <laughs> the temptation is real. You've obviously covered it for me. They knew I was coming. Um, no green powder or any other colour. Uh, with me this morning. The security has actually been ramped up fairly significantly well, as well. Clearly not. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, look, I think uh, yeah, everybody's wondering, how did you, what, what, how did, is it, like, I, do you have permission to be there? I do, I do. Uh, World Snooker were very, very kind to me. Rob Marsh was actually behind me as one of the security guys who's let me in. Um, they're brilliant. Like, I have to say, their relationship with the media as well, World Snooker, is second to none. And that, that's probably because it's one of those sports that just isn't at the level that it was in terms All of right. interest in the 1980s. So it's a, uh, They've been very good to me, Jaron. I'm, I'm blink, literally blink twice if they can't hear you, Shane. Blink, blink. Okay. <laughs> World snooker are amazing. We love Great them. People. Thank and you. They're gonna let you play. That's what I want. I don't. I don't even want to touch the table. It's one of those things. I, I, I literally like. Even if they said, "Oh, you can touch it there," and not, not a chance. Greasy hands. There's no need to go near it. All right. Uh, but you can watch be this close. It's special privilege. <laughs> Shane, good stuff. Thanks a million. Enjoy the rest Here's of your, your uh, time in Sheffield. Is he there for the whole thing? No, I think he's back uh, before the final Wednesday. Right. Uh, all right. Up next, Anthony Moyles in the studio. Now you're welcome back. It's uh, eight forty nine this morning. You're watching OTV AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shaver. Your money back. Neon Night Edition is available now. Anthony Moyles is with us in the studio. Anthony, how are you? I'm fantastic, Jer. Really? <laughs> how are you? <laughs> I'm a long suffering Spurs fan, Jer. So throw that into the mix. As the kids would text you, you okay, hon? Yeah, yeah, you okay. Uh, difficult weekend. Um, uh, Spurs will just park those. I, you know what? The amazing thing is, I saw some people mention it. Very little enthusiasm, very little excitement, and a real sense of trepidation amongst me supporters before that game. And See, it, it, it was there for a reason. It isn't a shock. It's a shock, but it's not a shock. Correct. I yeah, it's not a shock. Um, you know, and I suppose there's two things. You can, I suppose, concentrate in the game. The game, uh, awfully were full value for the game. Um, as, as, as you know, they they showed during the league, me got out of got out of jail against them. And even last year in the championship, awfully would have felt that they were probably in that game and should have got some kind of a result out of the game. And, um, you know, again, you have a situation, I suppose, where... Uh, you know, are this Mead team, Colin O'Rourke was saying they deserve to be in the Tazen Cup? Well, that's correct. That's correct. Yeah. You know, the the results don't lie. Uh, you take the two results out from the very first two games in the league um, when they caught Cork in a bit of a shootout. Could, could have easily lost that game. Could you be facing Division 3 now and Tazen Cup? And then you would absolutely rightly say, well, this is the competition for them. Is it the competition for them? In other words, so do they go, they play some teams, they get a bit of confidence, they maybe get to a final, maybe they win it. Um, the players actually see that instead of being on the, at, the, at the other end of getting drubbings, they're actually on the, on, the, on the opposite end. There's a bit of confidence built to get a bit of camaraderie built. Um, and they actually realise, Gina, you know what, we're not as bad footballers as we thought we were or as people say we are. Um, and maybe it gives the management team a time to then actually just to try to build and solidify and actually make them a unit that can advance next year. But my worry is is the opposite could happen actually. I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm hearing loads of stuff and of course rumours and everything else I'm not that close to the camp so I can't and, and people will say, well, you know, which I'm not. So, 
what I'm hearing rumors. I've I've seen some things and I've heard some things that would kind of give me alarm bells, to be honest with you. Um, and alarm bells around the camp itself, how happy the camp is um, and how solid they are as a group um, and how much they're willing to kind of put the shoulder to the wheel. Um, you know, so that's, 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 a, that's a big worry. Um, okay. Are there players who aren't playing... In the in the panel at the moment, who are better than the players, is that one of the issues that they they don't have the best available, or is this actually the the best players largely with maybe one or two exceptions? I think largely it is probably right. the best of players, bar one or two. Like we've spoken before about Conor McGill, okay, so we've we've already touched that. Um, but I suppose there's a few there's just a few decisions that I think you know I know Colin was saying no excuses but you know they've, they've kind of rattled through all the excuses during the league conditioning inexperience this 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 various different things but like when I look at the team yesterday I'll give you an example so there's a young lad uh, uh, Owen Harkin who played in the Kildare game the last game in the league which was a pretty important game you would have felt he starts that game but then after the game he's dropped from the whole panel Right, which is a very strange decision, you know. So he's out. He starts. He's obviously embedded in the fifteen. Then he's gone out of thirty. Uh, young young coffee plays yesterday. Who saw I think little or no league time. Ronan Ryan, who is a fellow who plays with Summerhill, who were in the county final, who were one of the perennial senior teams in Mead. He gets very little game time during the league, but then he starts full back yesterday. You also get four debutants. Just, just kind of some strange decisions that you kind of scratch your head and say, well, if he was going to be the fullback and he hasn't really played full, would he not have played fullback all the way throughout the league, right? Then, as I, we've said on this team, you build, you build your team from the defence. You make sure you're rock solid there and then you worry about the other end. We don't have a marquee forward. We don't have a Conor McManus. We, we, we haven't had one for a long time. So, therefore, you need to say, well, this is a collective effort and the most we're going to probably try to get is one twelve, one thirteen in a game, fourteen, fifteen points. We're not going to get twenty odd points, and that's just it. So do Mead have fifteen, twenty players that are better than Talent Cup that are top sixteen in Ireland, talent wise, right now? You know, well, when you look across the board, there's there's probably I think there's probably six to eight teams. Like there's a top eight, right? And then there's another eight who are just making the most out of what they have. I don't think Mead are making the most out of what right. they have. Right. So I think I think a team can be set up and a team can be to say, right, well, you know what, we're going to make it very difficult. So you look at Down yesterday. I thought that was a really good game. Donegal put a lot into that game, considering all the stuff that has gone before. They were, they were well within the game. They could have won it. But Down came with an energy, with a purpose, with a, with a, with a set-up, with a style of play that they said by hook or by crook, we're going to die in our sore today and we're going to go. And, and as it happens, they won the game. That's a Division Three team versus... You know, essentially a division. Yeah, I mean, one they, uh, traditionally a, a division one team over the last number of years, and who yes. still have largely uh, a playing squad who were at, who, who be carry in the league. You know, yeah, um, exactly. So uh, you know, so so are they making the most out of what they have? Yes, and uh, by the way, and down has been a complete disaster the last five or six years. Yeah. Those written so you can turn around quickly is the other thing. Well, but you can, but I think again, you know, Connor Laverty, what they've done under twenties the last few years, they've obviously got the county board mm. right behind. Like, and I think people say, oh, the county, it it, it it does. It starts from the top. There's this there's this horrible thing going on in Mead for the last number of years, and it started with Andy McEntee, which was they felt Andy was picking an awful lot of South Mead players, 
right? Which is where the big, I suppose, population zones are. The Ratoats, the Dumboins, the Dunham or Ashburns. But it's just a virtue of, of numbers, yeah. right? Now, you know, when you go from this thing, oh, he should be picking North Mead players, it's this thing of, well, just pick the best players. Yeah. It doesn't matter where you're from. Doesn't matter where your father's from. Doesn't matter where your mother's from. Doesn't matter where you, you could be from Timbuk too. Yeah. Come in and just, and this whole thing of like, and I heard Colm and I have to say it was, you know, I know it was a bit in jest on the Tommy Turner thing, but this thing of, oh, well, you know, we, we're going to collect all the Dublin flags and we're going to burn them. Like, I don't know if it goes on in Kildare, right? Kildare are in the same boat, right? Loads of border towns across Dublin, loads of people, you know, migrating into Kildare. But you know what? Embrace it. Best of luck. Fantastic. Be inclusive rather than kind of be the other way. Because I tell you, people might say, oh, it doesn't really matter. It does matter. It does matter. You have to have a, a sense of purpose. Mead is not what it was 25 years ago. It's a different county. It's a different county. It's full of different accents. It's full of different people. But you have to pull that together. And if you don't pull it together, when, and your sense of purpose then is to make the best of who we have, you're going absolutely nowhere in my view. It starts there. I think. Um, you, you don't want to be too critical of somebody who has decided to give it their all this year in in um, what Colin O'Rourke has done. But if you look at what Dignan did, Dignan went and got involved at county board level. And actually, maybe if you want to make long-term significant changes, you can be a sticking plaster with the inter-county side. But if the county board is the way that it has been with the fight with the management between the under-20s and the senior team with like uh, having to run for your own job again that Andy McEntee had. Maybe that would have been better for Colm to spend his time doing that as opposed to trying to come in and fix the team. Yeah, like I'm not, look, I'm not, I'm not laying the blame at, at Colm's door entirely. Absolutely not. Um, I'm saying it's, 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 it's a county thing, as a matter of fact. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a Who we are. It's who we are, exactly. And I know a number of years ago people were looking to say, well, who, who, you know, we need to get the meadness back in mead. But, but it has changed, you know, and I'm not saying Colm is out of touch, but I mean, maybe even I'm out of touch. But these, these are, these are new, these are young lads who, who have, have grown up in a different county, right? Yeah. Who have grown up with, with, you know, the behemoth at the door. And who have regularly set themselves up for a tanking every time they've gone in against... And, and by the way, make no bones about it, that's the way it's going to go again this year, right, for whoever's left. Like, I mean, unless I'm absolutely... Like, you see what they do to Leash yesterday, yeah. right? Like, it, it, the writing's on the wall. They I, I wouldn't say many Kildare fans are particularly excited about the fact that there's a trip to Croker to face the dubs, uh, you know. And, and, yeah. and our reward might be to drop into the Talton Cup... Uh, in the aftermath of that and you know what maybe that might be the thing for this team and for everybody to um, the one thing I'd say about Kildare is that they do have talented footballers mm. who it doesn't feel like we're getting the best out of them at the moment you know well, you're, you're, yeah. you're talking about uh, you know the second eight teams the purpose that they have and they're well organised and well coached when you look at what O'Rourke has brought in around him so you know the other pundit that left Kevin McStay goes into Mayo and he brings this superstar lineup of mm. coaches in around him even reading the analysis today of Galway it's like oh well this was a Keane O'Neill game plan executed to perfection like Port Joyce brings in one of the top coaches yeah. alongside him Mark McHugh goes in down at Roscommon is there a sense that around me that maybe O'Rourke at the county board underestimated the coaching nous that was needed as well 
Uh, I don't know. Garrigan came in, who was one of the main guys mm. with, with, the, with the ladies' team, um, and has 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 a good CV and quite a good uh, CV, I believe, uh, uh, with regard to coaching and different teams. You know, Stephen Bray and Barry Callahan are in there. They've got a they've got a strong backroom team, but you know, look again without knowing the intricacies of what happens in there, you would have felt that the first thing we would do is we would get our defensively set up strong. That's that's the first thing. Let's make sure, as all teams have, mm. be it Mayo or whoever it is, you know, Kerry in the last number of years, let's set up defensively strong and then let's look after the other end as we go. But um, it just hasn't transpired that way. I think the idea was we'll be a traditional setup. we'll get the ball in early, we'll kind of go man-on-man at the back, yeah, and we'll see how we go. And that has not worked, no. right? It hasn't worked. And it's very difficult to change that midstream. Well, very, very difficult. Well, you, you're, it's difficult to retain credibility with the group when you're saying, we tried that thing and it didn't work and now we have to go to something different, but we haven't done any practice for it, so... Uh, you know, let's let's work it out. Yeah, and there's probably also an acceptance, Jared. To be honest with you, you know, you, I've been at plenty of mead games where you hear fellas saying, "Kick it in, kick it in, get rid of it," you know, because they don't want like teams holding on to it. There has to be an acceptance as well that you know what, you might go four or five minutes with absolutely boring football just to retain possession, yeah, but yeah, that's yeah. just it. That's the game. That's the game. The game, the game doesn't change. Uh, so we should talk about briefly about Offaly. We will do more on Offaly mm. during the week. It's an incredible achievement for them. And on the other side. Um, they're going to be up against Louth, who came back from the dead against Westmeath. And I again, you'd hope that Westmeath didn't have in the back of their heads, well, it doesn't really matter to us because we're already through. Because like, them beating Louth and them beating Offaly in a semi-final would have been great for them to get a chance against oh. the Dubs and then to catapult into. And it would have felt... So it feels a little bit like Westmeath haven't built on the Talton Cup success. Now, maybe they shock us with a big home win against somebody in the... Round Robin in Sam McGuire, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't. That that that's going to be a massive uh, kick for them yesterday. Like that's a game that they should really see out. It's a game that I'm sure they were thinking at half time. We we keep this tight second half. Yeah, they'll come back. They'll have their purple patch. There was probably a few warning signs there though in the first half. Loud had two or three goal chances that the keepers made good saves on, and and there was warning signs to say actually they could slip in here and and get in behind us, which they did then repeatedly in the second half. Um, but yeah, as you say, building on, you would have thought that Talton Cup would have been a springboard for them, and it, it hasn't been. Um, Loud, on the other hand, you know, like I saw Mickey Hart saying they were just playing for pride in the second half. Well, you know, they, oh, I was the reports from it uh, were saying real lack of intensity in the first half, allowing with me just to kind of run through them. You know, real, no real kind of zip, no energy. Um, and probably a little bit of expectation on them too. You know, they were coming into this game with everyone saying, oh, you know, yeah, yeah. where could they go here? And they've done a great league. And all of a sudden then you're like, whoa, we're one seven, one eight, whatever it was down. So to be fair to them, that's, that's that's you know, they could have gone the other way. Uh, but they stuck in it. And once they got going, they've got some seriously talented footballers. Uh, the yeah. And they've got a lot of power and a lot of pace. Um, and they actually then played a very different style where they opened up in that second half to what they have. Because they had to chase the game. Um, but, yeah, re- you know, remarkable result by them. Let's talk about Galway because um, yeah. Galway handled their business against Roscommon. There was, again, the purple patch at the start of the second half where Roscommon created and scored... And it felt like they were seizing the initiative of the game. We'd seen Roscommon finish games really strongly, but for whatever reason, Roscommon couldn't keep going with that. Mm. Um, and I, 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 I didn't really know what to make of Galway's performance. It required 
a massive slice of luck with the ball coming back down to Comer yeah. for him to score the goal. And that just seemed to knock the stuff out of Roscommon, which I didn't expect. So I don't know. what there was, there was a good bit of analysis on the Sunday game last night of Galway's reaction to conceding the goal and holding on to possession for pretty much two, two and a half minutes and just recycling it and stalling yeah. that Ross. That bit of maturity that Galway now have of in-game management. Yeah, but at yeah. the same time, there's a kick-out that um, gets spilled and if Conor Cox catches it instead of slips and Cox is just off, uh, just off the bench and maybe if it had happened five minutes later, there would have been a second goal for them. And, I, you know, so like... A little bit of that, I think, is post-fact analysis. Cause yeah, I, th- I thought um, there's two things I think that really stand out for you. The, Galway, there is a, there is a maturity with Galway. The, Joyce understands that um, certain aspects of the game, such as you know Shane Walsh being essentially, essentially nearly you know marked out of the game yesterday, um, that he needs a foil in his forward line, and that foil is Burke, who I thought was absolutely fantastic yesterday. Um, so people will look at his performance and say, well, what exactly? But he's a link man. He, he stitches an awful lot of stuff together for them. He presents himself and then he literally will hand pass left or right and kick pass. He brings other players into it. Um, and what he does is he, he generally, he stays in, in, in the D. So that's where he, he does all of his work. He's got a really smart brain. Um, but... They were definitely thinking to themselves, you know what, we're, we're, we're kicking on here. I thought Roscommon were a bit lacklustre first half. They didn't have their usual zip, their usual energy. When they started in the second half, they really came at them. Yeah. Galway looked at it sixes and sevens. Um, but they wrestled it back. And I think even pre the, the, the goal, which was a slice of luck, they had already kind of said, right, calm this down. Burke had actually come out around midfield. Um, so he, 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 he ventured out the field and he just got on the ball and just kind of said, listen, let's take it handy. As you say, Nathan, you know, and, and the goal was, look, it was a poacher's goal. It was, it was what you'd want from Comer. Um, but I am, Joyce will definitely look at it and kind of think, you know, we're not a million miles ahead here and we still have work to do. Yeah. Um, and Ross Common should look at it and say, well, actually, we had a terrible first half. Like, Murta was shockingly bad. Nothing would go right for them in the first half. As I say, they had no energy where they usually have from their half-backs. You know, fellas tearing up the field. All of a sudden, the second half, they were getting scores from full-back, corner-back, half-back, which is what they've been doing. Um, so Ross Common will, will, will say, listen, we'll never be, or hopefully we won't be as bad like again in that first half and we need to take more from what we in the second half um, but it's 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 definitely Galway I don't think you are the finished article yet you know and I think he still has a lot of, a, a lot of work to do It's interesting what you're saying about Ian Burke like are there many better forwards at the moment at making their other forwards look good than Ian Burke? Uh, he was up there he's kind of in the, the Paddy Clifford mode um, but Clifford now has actually what Paddy has been doing a lot because fellas man mark him a lot he's, he's dropping he's dropping deeper to get involved and kind of quarterbacking it from there whereas Burke actually stays in the mix which is really really good so what he's able to do there is people are expecting the ball to go into Comer when actually it doesn't it goes into him and he feeds Comer on loops or on runs or on fast runs and Walsh. So he's 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 certainly you know for a guy that kind of was out in the wilderness a bit, you know, had a great couple mm. of years a number of years ago, then went out into it. He's and he's changed his game where he was always kind of a fellow who was inside. You put ball into him and he take his man on. He's he's he's. You watch him yesterday. I'd, I'd say he hardly took a solo or a bounce. Every time he got the ball, he just looked to ship it. Um. Ross Commoner in pot three, Mayor in pot three. That was the whole point that we were making the whole way along. You know, it doesn't matter. 
I, I guess Roscommon will be happier that they've had this extra game and they, they've measured themselves. Maybe they feel a bit better about life than Mayo do this morning. I don't know. It's like... Uh, yeah, it's hard to know. feel quite good about life, I'll be honest with you. So I wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't worry about that, Chair. <laughs> it's hard to know. I, d- I don't think they will be... They'll be massively disappointed, Chair, because I think when they really look back on the game... Um, but I, n- I never felt the sense yesterday, even with the, as you say, the slice of luck, I thought they had put a massive amount of effort into that 10 or 15 minutes to get back, you know, and they went one up, I think, at one stage, didn't they? They went one up. But I just felt that they had kind of, because they flagged after ba- after that. Yeah. You know, they looked like they were kind of, now the game was still in the melting pot with three or four minutes to go, even though they were two or three behind. Galway didn't put them to the sword as, as I thought they would have. Um, but I think in Galway's muscle memory, Galway gave them a lot of respect. Mm. And Galway kind of said, you know what, these fellas have got the ability to catch us out. Yeah. So Galway kind of also said, well, what we have, we hold here, you know, and they didn't go too crazily offensive in that last kind of seven or eight minutes. You know, now Comer got the, the fisted score, but they were kind of saying, we're going to just make sure that we don't concede goals here. Um, and they very nearly did, but I don't think Roscommon. Roscommon are going to be there, thereabouts. Like, they've massively impressed me. We still, so uh, Arma, yeah, again, handled their business and Ulster has been tricky for McGinney, uh Provincial championships have been tricky for McGinney in his managerial career. I don't know if it's coincidence or it's just been the, the luck of the draw over the years, but they've got to get over down to get into an Ulster final. And this team feels like um, they would benefit from that. F- 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 uh, f- I mean, I'm kind of going against myself here on this record and the qualifiers are sensational. So uh, do they need to beat down? Do they need to, like, is that is that part of their season, their story? Yeah, I, th- I think they do. Um, you know, I think they handle business, but, you know, the people were talking about Cavan, the amount of shots Cavan had, and people say, oh, well, Armagh people would say, well, they were shooting from wide angles, our defence did what they needed to do, make them shoot way out left and right, make them shoot under pressure. But I think they had 30-odd shots. That's a lot of shots. You know, and what down have... Down have fellas who can kick from the arc. Down have guys who can come out on the loop. And if they do, and if they won't do that, I tell you what they'll do: they'll break really quickly. And they run <clears throat> one touch. Fellas coming off the shoulder. Um, so I think this is a really, really, really tricky game for McGinney. I think it's a very, very. It's a like a. It's not going to be a banana skin if they lose. But this is a. This is this is a game that. I think offers them a completely different challenge. Um, Cavan, I thought, were lacklustre. You know, from the goals, you can see that their defence were, you know, nearly walking back. They didn't tag runners, similar to the Donegal situation. Um, and Armagh did what they needed to do. And I often feel, and I know we've said this in the last while, Armagh nearly set themselves out to meet every single opponent. They kind of changed their game slightly to meet that particular opponent. They may go more defensive, they may go more offensive, they may decide we're playing a running game. You know, and it's it sometimes made a paralysis by analysis, you know, that they're not, just go out and play your own game they sometimes. They were so good last year. Do you know, like, I, I do wonder, maybe... Yeah, yeah, like, we've you've missed that kind of Reno Neal on the square and big balls going in early and him going up fetching them. And you, you haven't kind of seen that, you know. Now, maybe they're keeping it back. You know, you wouldn't know, but at some time, that's going to have to come out uh, and I would feel that's going to have to come out against Down because Down are very very good at creating uh, uh, and they did it with Donegal they just trap you and then they go on the break really fast so it's a tricky one for them um, but Down you know full value and look our man looked after business as you say okay. the Reno O'Neill clearance the moment of the weekend unbelievable Savage. Like, I mean, even just to get himself into that position, but to understand that the only place that this shot can go is here. So, mm. therefore, I have to get across to it. 
you know, most fellas would stand up and just look and, and say, and to not even just palm it back into trouble or anything. Yeah, like that. absolutely. The yeah, to get yeah. It out. yeah. Ethan Rafferty might be in trouble in nets. <laughs> um, we talked briefly about Down and the the quality of their performance, but it does go to show what's possible when there is alignment between the clubs, the intercounty manager. You know, obviously, um, he had a big reputation as a as a uh, manager coming in. There was high expectations. The league was a bit in and out, um, but ultimately, I think he got exactly what he wanted from it. And again, to Nathan's point earlier, it does show how quickly you can turn things around if you get the right people in the room and say, "This is what our ambition is." Let's go, and everybody goes. Well, he had a, he had a big he had a, he had a big reputation, but like he'd only played, I think, a year before. So he put himself out there, you know, young guy, young family. You're talking about this fella is is putting himself up here for if it doesn't go well, yeah, he's going to get absolutely ripped to shreds. Um, and you know, a lot of people might have said, uh, with all the turmoil that's going on, maybe I'll give it a year or two or three or four years. Like, he could have said, maybe when I'm 40-odd, I'll, I'll decide to take this. Like, he did. It was a brave move by him, Jer, because they were they were an absolute mess. You know, they started to show a little bit of green shoots, but the Kilku thing, obviously, um, the, the trust of the players and them all focused on the North Star and all going in the one direction. Everyone, county board, everyone. Um, and it just shows you when it is. That's why would be my worry for Donegal. I, I, you know, I think Aidan O'Rourke, I think, got Donegal and probably potentially is squeezing the last out because my worry would be that that unravels very quickly and Donegal could slide um, and could slide quite rapidly, uh, which is which is a worry. Um, you want Donegal if you're like so they're going to be in pot four. Mm. Uh, as it stands, I think there's a few other results that might be able to. I don't think they can get into pot three. Well, maybe they can, but um, you wouldn't mind having Donegal in your group if you're one of the top teams. You're like that's grand. I'm chalking that down as a victory. I think you'd be fairly confident. Yeah, because uh, that was that, that was a big effort, as I say. I think I do think they genuinely were. You could see the the endeavour they were putting in, the chasing back. They slipped it a couple of times, and there was nearly this force of nature that down were just going to win that game. And when you have that that weight that has been going on in the county for the last three to four months with all the stuff, it just comes at you. And it comes at you, of course, at the wrong times. And people can say, oh, well, that wouldn't really make a difference. It does make a difference. It makes a difference in your preparation. It makes a difference in everything. You know, it makes a difference in questioning yourself. Did we make the right move with Paddy Carr? It's on us if this if this goes awry. Um, it's, just, it's, just, it's just noise. It's a distraction. And you don't need that coming into a game. So, yeah, if you got them, I think you'd be fairly happy having them in the, uh, in the pot. Uh, Dublin, it was 4.15 in the first half, I think, that they scored, and 15 points only in the second <laughs> half. They took their foot off the gas, clearly. But I think a few things were important in that um, Mannion started, McCaffrey started. Like the, the thing that we need to see from Dublin is that those players have game time and they're fit by the time all yeah. the quarterfinal happens. Yeah. Actually, nothing really matters up to that point. But once the, the quarterfinals arrive, yeah. uh, are, is Con fit, which he wasn't last year against Kerry, they, they'll have Mannion and they'll have Jack McCaffrey and suddenly they have strengthened that almost again almost yeah. directly because of that well I think the chairman of the Leinster Council made his obligatory half-time uh, visit to the Dublin dressing room to say lads look <laughs> seriously take a handy will you <laughs> to win a few subs there someone but it's uh, yeah you, you know Howard coming on Comes on, bangs over one of his outside of the right from midfield. Uh, looks looks lively again. Looks strong. Looks lean. Um, they take Jack. 
or James McCarthy off to give him a bit of a break. Colin Pascal running the show at 11, which is very, very interesting. I saw his name on the team sheet and I said to myself, oh, is that, is that, is he going to start? Because I actually think Pascal has unbelievable amount of talent. All but right. I've seen him over the last year or two at Dublin and he's, like if you remember him, remember Bally Bowden mm. went on the big run, like he was, he was imperious that year. You know, like unbelievably good, massive speed, great ability, really, really tidy on the ball, well able to take a score. Um, and I felt over the last while that he's just come in and has been a bit player, you know, shifting passes on rather than going for scores himself. But obviously over the last three to four weeks and actually one or two of the last league games he came on and was actually being a bit more selfish. Right. Um, but he was sometimes very, the, very good yesterday. Sometimes the penny drops for players in their mid-twenties. Exactly. It can happen. Yeah, yeah. But, you know... And they've had too many players like that over the last three or four years. It's sort of why there's been that correct. decline. Yeah, and who haven't the put squad. their you hand expect up. them to kick on, but exactly. it's the same guys they rely on. Exactly. Uh, does that change Kilkenny's role in any way? I think it probably does. You know, I think what it'll do is it can... I, th- I think they've, they've missed that focus of an eleven. Because Kilkenny does this roving role where he shifts from you know east to west all the time. It, it, like they need they need a guy who has pace. Who if they look up and they need to hit an out ball, he has the ability to go and be that out ball. And I think that's and also a guy who can, you know, I I think Kilkenny can nearly be a foil now in the full forward line where he can drift out, get involved if he want. But they also himself and you, you wouldn't fancy leaving himself and Con inside in the full forward line. Because then you can lorry a ball in from anywhere. Mm. Correct. Now I, I think. It looked like they dropped Kilkenny for the league final against Derry and uh, he comes on after five minutes because there's an injury and mm. then gets in the team for this. So I don't know. But just very quickly, the Sills bench that came on, Brian Howard, Owen Merchant, Cormac Costello, Dean Rock, Craig Diaz. Never heard of them. <laughs> what do you know from me lately? You know, yeah. I, I, um, yeah. That's why I'd have the number one. But any, obviously, we didn't even talk about Kerry and uh, Kerry's game against Tip where, again... Yeah, I don't know how good it is for Tipperary. I don't know how good it is for Leash. Everybody had the chance to fix this, and no, no one wanted to fix it. So we are where we are. Crimea River, lads. Yeah, uh, Kerry also very good. It turns out, and Clifford's like, I, it must be hard for David Clifford to be that excited about these games at this stage, where it's like, I have fish to fry in the summertime. <laughs> <in Croke> Park. <laughs> I, <laughs> These are not fish. You'd yeah. love if we had players of that arrogance if he actually was just that was the attitude of the yeah, dressing yeah. beforehand. Really? Yeah. Do you need me today? Jack, do you really like you know, I'm busy. Uh, you know. Things uh, things to do. Anthony, good stuff. Cheers, lads. Seventeen minutes past nine this morning, OTBIM live with Gillette Labs got the ultimate shave or your money back, Neon Light Edition available now. Some highlights on the OTB Podcast Network for you today. Post match reaction from us common and Galway. Our Sunday paper reviews, Kieran Cunningham and Kleena Foley with Joe and Ollie Canning's reaction to Galway's win against Wexford. Follow OTB across our social uh, channels and subscribe to the OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. 14-man Limerick uh, eventually overcame Waterford in the Munster Hurling Championship yesterday. Noel Connors is with us now to offer some analysis on that. Uh, Noel, first off, what's the level of disappointment like in the aftermath? Because it was right there for Waterford if they'd just been a little bit calmer. Yeah, and ironically enough, I think you've already kind of hit hit it right on the head. It was probably just that small bit of coolness in the brain when they got the opportunities, particularly when it came to crunch time in would we'll say the last kind of five, ten minutes of the first half, but more so with the last kind of like 15, 20 minutes in the second half, Waterford just made poor decisions at times, 
but the expectation, I suppose, there was there probably wasn't much expectations after a relatively up and down league uh, campaign where I think they they won two, drew one, and lost two. But uh, there was probably no expectation, and I think a lot of teams. I think Tommy mentioned it yesterday on off the ball that uh, there's no expectation. I suppose to beat Limerick, it's about the performance, and I think that that's what a lot of Waterford people expected was was the performance. Um, and so the performance was really quite good. It was very good, um, and again, we uh, there's so many different variables and factors. It, it's uh, it goes to show how it was fickle and how complex. Uh, hurling and football is as a sport in the sense that you go back 12 months ago and Waterford were doing really well in the league and when it came to championship they were quite poor and quite the opposite has happened now where you had a relatively poor league campaign and yesterday hit the ground running so there's so many different variables and reasons behind that for for, for whatever reason it may be it's, it's far beyond my pay grade to, to give that but uh, yeah it's uh, it was a great experience to be there yesterday to see the lads really you know I suppose physically but also mentally and athletically match Limerick in so many different facets of the game. Uh, an awful lot of the talk ahead of the game was about what would Davy do and I wasn't quite buying into that he would have some sort of tactical master plan that would some, somehow stymie Limerick but they did really crowd that middle area and made it very difficult from the Limerick puckouts in particular. Callum Lyons had a great game and Keane Lynch like Keane Lynch couldn't run the show out there at all. And also he seemed to change it quite often because one of the questions with like Limerick, if you get at them for 20 minutes, they're so good on the sideline, they'll change their tactics, that no matter what Limerick seemed to try, Waterford seemed to have an answer. So there was a real consistency to getting this right tactically throughout the game. Absolutely. And look, I think that the Davy factor, to an extent, takes a lot of pressure off the players. As in, everyone talks about Davy and what he's going to do, where the players can just go turn up the train and, and, and train as hard as they can. And that's actually very beneficial as players because the expectation, again, is not on you. It's on you know your coach and staff and the management. Um, and look, we're all well aware, like Davy has been around the block. He's been at schools level, college level, club level, inter-county level, Munster, Leinster, etc. So he's well aware and he has probably as much experience as the next person when it comes to that. Um, I was very, very impressed how well they set up, particularly in the first half when Limerick at 15 and Wolf at 15 yes the game had changed quite dramatically when Limerick went down and Jack Fagan basically stood on the left hand side where Limerick couldn't run into space that obviously changed it to an extent where they couldn't get the out ball onto either side but in the, even in the first half they set up really well like genuinely Limerick struggled I was sitting right on the 21 and Limerick struggled to find passes Whereas before, you know, you're hitting Gerald Hegarty, you're hitting Tom Morrissey, you're hitting Keane Inch into space, and they couldn't do that. It's the first time in a long time where I could honestly say that I can't remember where Limerick's half forward line didn't actually dominate in the year. Uh, and I think that's hugely important. You go back to that amazing, you know, Kilkenny team where the Kilkenny's half back line dominated most teams. And yesterday, Warford did very, very well on a very impressive half forward line for, for Limerick. I know everybody says last year was a complete disaster for Waterford, but they won the first day out against Tipperary, and I was just checking the score. Second day uh, out was against Limerick, and it was uh, thirty points to two twenty-one. So, like, they aren't building off nothing, even though, like, generally it's accepted that last year was a complete disaster, and the team started to leak, and it all went off the rails. But like, by the second round of the round robin in Munster last year they'd won one and lost one and they'd only lost by a couple of points to, to Limerick so uh, should we I mean should we have expected them to go right toe to toe with this Limerick side like they're probably not that far away really 
they're not and ironically enough when they played Limerick was it last year two years ago up, up at the Gaelic grounds they could have very easily won it up there also um, I just think that you kind of judge your expectation is based on last year's championship and coming towards the end of last year's championship I remember watching the, the Clare match up in Ennis and I wasn't at the match I remember watching it I was kind of saying to myself just seems to be a complete lack of energy like completely unstructured didn't really know what they were doing and look again there's so many different variables and I'm not in the inner circle to give you a good enough reason for that but it just didn't see, seem to be themselves and I know Jamie went off and Ty went off both of them within 15 minutes of that match as well two massive players for Waterford um, but for some reason the latter half of the championship was, was very very poor and maybe because you don't expect that as well maybe your point is very valid in the sense we don't expect Waterford to be that poor there's always an expectation to be there, thereabouts for the last like five or ten minutes of the game, but that obviously wasn't the case towards the latter end of the championship. Did you see enough then in the performance yesterday to suggest that they'll be able to learn and absorb the lessons where the opportunities are there, where some of the, the shots are just a little bit rushed when they didn't need to be? They actually had plenty of time on the ball for some of those wides, yeah. and I think that'll be the most disappointing thing. Yeah, and I suppose it's, it's easy for us to kind of talk about it now. It was like a it was like a dagger to the heart at times when they had the opportunity, they had time, they had room. And particularly in the first half, I think there were 10 minutes left in the first half and Warford had three bad wides to the left-hand side. Each one of them more or less hit the exact same place on the left-hand side where the ball went up the far end of the field and someone like, you know, Keelish got on the ball and was straight over the bar. But we really had to work for our chances and our, our scores uh, and we didn't take them at times. And like, listen... This is not kind of like take an individual out of you know the whole whatever was was four, four minutes in the first half and seven in the second half, so eighty one minutes. It's not like one individual moment, but even with I think it was time was up. Just about I think one minute of out of time we were in that one minute, and Austin got a ball and around the sixty five and ran with it, and he seemed to have a lot of space. But then he ran with it and ran with it, and if he actually picked the ball over the bar, we would have been one point in it with five minutes to go or six minutes to go. And I think that our backs would have been up in the sense that we had an extra man. We kind of had the momentum at that stage. But by the time the Austin ran to the 21, Limerick had got two more fellas back. I think it was uh, Kyle Hayes. And I think it could have been Darrow Donovan got back and basically kind of swallowed up the opportunity. Whereas if we were just that small but cool hit the ball over the bar, it might be in a very different game. Again, these are the small margins we talk when it comes to championship. Uh, what did you make of the couple of incidents involving the Limerick players that so Garod Hegery sent off and obviously the Seamus Flanagan tackle as well there does seem to be a feeling that if Limerick aren't to win the All-Ireland this year that it may be of their own doing that that bit of discipline that, that's been there maybe throughout at times and other people say it's just toughness it's the physicality that, that makes them so so good what did you make of those two incidents? I, ironically enough You didn't see it? I know I did I did 100% saw it and you know what I actually thought the first half of the game was very dead. It felt like I was, my little fellow was there, my wife was there, and I said to her after 10, 15 minutes, this feels like a league game because it was just very poor at stages. There was no atmosphere there whatsoever. And ironically enough, those hits by Gerald Hegarty, Seamus Fanagan, and a few others um, actually sparked into life. Uh, and I think that we have to be very careful that we don't actually lose the essence of like hurling in the sense that you have to leave those hits go in as long as they're not intentional to hurt someone. Uh, I think they're a huge part of the game and I think most players will 
enjoy it in a strange way, even though they might get hurt. Like you hear Camogie and his football going on for, for the last like 10 years talk about like more physicality, more physicality. The last thing we want to do is to try and take away the physicality. Um, and look, don't get me wrong, the Seamus Flanagan one, yes, it was a bit late, hit Stephen in the face, that's fine. I don't know in terms of, now this is again a different conversation, is there like some sort of sighting thing? I'm not saying that there should be. It has no beneficial uh, outcome from the war for game because if someone gets sighted after a match for hitting someone like that, it's the following couple of games where it might be clear in this coming week that they'll benefit from not having Seamus Fanning on the field. I don't know. I'm not sure if it's the right thing to do there. But these hits are going to take place. You go back to, you know, that great Kilkenny team. We always must judge or, you know, refer to things from great teams. That Kilkenny team were amazing to watch and great team. And we've always spoken about those players being on the edge. I don't know how many times growing up as a kid where I heard somebody saying, oh, Tommy Welch plays on the edge. Tommy Welch played on the, on the edge and he was probably one of the best players ever to play. So I don't think that you can naively say, oh, all those hits happened and we should be very mindful of those. Yes, if someone goes in and hurt someone, absolutely send them off. But if Garrod Hegarty wasn't on a yellow card before that, it's a yellow card you get on with it. Yeah. I don't think um, I know some people are going to go oh Hegarty's been sent off before I don't think that, that matters at all he's no. not going to think twice about this as the season goes on that's why he's so good that is why he is so good he is so good because he is on the edge um, one thing that did strike me was that the weather's shite and like uh, watching Harrington talk recently about like when the sun goes in the ball travels less It, I, I, I do wonder if that atmosphere at the start was partly because it was absolutely freezing and like it's April and this is still the Munster Heart these are the best games we're going to see all year and it's not summertime well it's not your home stadium either and look I contradict myself here because Clare lost but looking at the pictures from Ennis and it absolutely packed and the sun was shining there and you thought this is what it's about like the fact Waterford don't have a home stadium at least at least they're getting it fixed you know Mm. yeah or mid-June, or mid-July, I think, will be somewhat closer, I think, to a finished dating. Um, but mid-July is when these but games no, will I, I, take your, I, take, I take your two points. No, I mean, and do you know what? These were things that I thought about in my head as well. Home advantage is hugely important. And, like, there's no point in like, that conversation has been well traversed over the last number of years since we changed the format. Ironically enough, I had a conversation again where when I was walking up to the stadium, I missed that feeling of knock at Harlem. Uh, for the traditionalists, in the sense that I think that there has to be something on the line. Regardless of anything in life, I think there needs to be something on the line. For Waterford yesterday, and I even heard it, and it kind of annoyed me to an extent on the television, I won't say it was at it, uh, where someone said, oh yeah, I have a free shot at Limerick next week. And I kind of said, well, not really, like because it's a championship game and you want to win your championship game. So I think that, I think there needs to be something on the line. If that was a knockout championship game, I think it would be a very different atmosphere there as well. I get the point on the weather. Uh, the weather actually wasn't too bad yesterday. Uh, in It was actually quite warm. We went out to the field yesterday after the match, um, and it was actually quite warm down there. Okay. Um, so, but like that, but I get your point. It was quite cold in the stadium under, underneath the shelter, but on the pitch, it was actually quite warm. And that's a factor I think that Warford will have to play into as well. Like, they played 81 minutes yesterday against a very good Limerick side, physically, emotionally, mentally, where you prepared. Like, it's going to be very hard for them to try and get themselves up for Cork this week. They're on Cork uh, on the road again. One last thing. Um, we, we've seen Limerick rack up massive scores and they're having massive wide counts because they're taking a huge number of shots. This is something Scale's been on uh, about 
on the hurling pod a good bit. And uh, Waterford managed to stop them being able to do that by clogging up the system. Is that a template for other teams to match? Now, everybody doesn't have the same physicality or uh, at least the height that, um, that Waterford have. Uh, but is there the bones of a template there for other teams to look at and try and pick a little bit away at, at Limerick? Yeah, and I do think, to be fair, I do think most teams are slowly trying to change things to suit. The, the one thing I'd be fearful of doing that is, like, Limerick are one team. You're, you're, like, Cork are going to play a very different game. Limerick play a different game. Clare play a different game, etc., etc., etc. I think that you're focused solely on playing Limerick. You might shoot yourself in the foot short term. So you might even get out of Munster to play him in a semi-final or a final. That would be my one fear. But I do think it's definitely opening up the conversation for how to potentially get a Limerick. Now, that's easier said than done. You look at Limerick's bench yesterday. It's phenomenal. Incredible. Uh, and again, that's down to like a lot of work that was done over the structures, schools, etc. But my fear factor for that would be and maybe, look, this is a thing as well in Wofford where we are probably looking at the same thing where we have Ballygunner that are going for was it, 10 in a row and everyone is talking about Ballygunner. You might never get to play Ballygunner um, because, you're so, you're, because you're so concerned about playing them and how they play that you forget that you just play, might have to play like a Romore Mountain or Lismore, etc. to get there and you might never get there. So that would be a fear factor. But I do think that more teams are slowly starting to change how they play. All right. No, we leave it there for now. Good stuff. Thanks a million for joining us. Cheers. Thanks, Have a good morning. You too. OCB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now.